and Vanessa, you're live. I'd like to call to order in this meeting. This is a Redmond City Council study session held on Tuesday, January 9th, 2024, commencing at 7 p.m. Council members in attendance are Council Member Salahuddin, Council Member Stewart, Council Member Fields, Council Member Anderson, Council Member Nueva Camina, Council Vice President Forsyth online, and myself, Council President Kritzer. There are three items on the agenda tonight, Redmond 2050 phase two policies, second drafts, Southeast Redmond Park master plan update and council talk time. The first item on the agenda is the Redmond 2050 phase two policies, second drafts. Carol Helen, director of planning and community development will introduce this item. Thank you so much, Council President Kritzer. Uh, good evening, Mayor and Council Members. Tonight, Planning and Community Development staff are here to discuss your input on the second drafts of several comprehensive plan elements as part of the continued review on Redmond 2050. This packet was robust, so I did send it out to you ahead of time via email on December 28th, and I would welcome your feedback on whether that was helpful or not when we get to the end. Later this evening, staff will introduce these second drafts of capital facilities, utilities, natural environment, and climate resilience and sustainability for discussion. But before we do that, we have a pleasure of having our members of our community advisory committee join us this evening. And I'd like to introduce Adam Coleman and Sing-Yi Joffrey. Uh, who are the chair and vice chair of our Redmond 2050 Community Advisory Committee. So uh, Singyi and Adam are going to share more about the work of the CAC by way of introduction. I want to say how thankful we are to them for all of their hard work and, uh, and their dedication of time and effort this month and for the past three years to provide community voice in Redmond 2050. And um, I'm hoping that you'll get some recognition and an evening tomorrow night to wrap up your work as well. But with that, I'm going to turn it over to Jeff Churchill to introduce the CAC work. Good evening, council members. Um, Adam and Sunyi, thanks for coming this evening. I'm going to uh, briefly describe uh, what the CAC did and then turn it over to um, Sunyi and Adam to talk about who the CAC is. Then I'll talk a little bit about the process and what the CAC did, and Adam and Cindy will close it out with kind of the, the takeaways and the big picture opportunities and uh, challenges. Um, so the Community Advisory Committee for Revin 2050 had kind of a three-pronged purpose, um, to advise staff on goals and policies in the Revin Comprehensive Plan, also to be community ambassadors to really let people in their networks know about Revin 2050, and then a, a lot of our meetings were really spent reviewing draft documents. So everything um, you had in your packet tonight, uh, council members, the community advisory committee also has had in their packet over the last uh, few months. So let me turn it over to Cindy and Adam to talk about um, who is the CAC. 
Yeah, thank you so much, Jeff. Hi, everyone. Again, I'm Singy Joffrey. Um, I've been the chair of the committee for about three years now. We've been looking at documents, um, and really all of us are volunteers. And so, um, as you'll see in the list, um, it really ranges from, you know, we have high school students who are part of the CAC all the way up to people who've lived in Redmond for 60 plus years. Um, and everybody gets involved for, you know, different reasons. And so, um, I thought what we could do today is just um, kind of share a little bit, at least for Adam and I, um, why we joined um, and to kind of give you a sense of, uh, you know, why we're part of it and, you know, what we're hoping to kind of contribute um, in this process. Uh, so for myself, um, you know, just to share a little bit about my background, um, when I was growing up in high school, I lived not here in Redmond, um, but back in Michigan, and um, I had gone through a period of homelessness, and so, you know, I spent quite a lot of time, you know, getting to know, like, city resources and things like that at a pretty young age, and I was pretty passionate about, you know, that was what kind of got me into college and got me to where I am now. So um, I really am passionate about, I think, having a community that's really strong and helping everybody in the community succeed. Um, and then uh, I've been here in Redmond now around eight years um, and reached a lot of life milestones here. And so from uh, internship when I was, you know, living in a small apartment um, to, you know, getting our first like townhome rental to you know, eventually purchasing our first home with my husband here. Um, and uh, getting involved in the community. My husband's a teacher at Redmond High School, um, and so we've also had a lot of great, you know, kind of, I was just telling uh, Vanessa that um, in the first year of the Redmond 2050, we even got some of his students involved, and we did like a school project where students were kind of envisioning what they would want to see uh, in Redmond in 2050. And so um, just really passionate, I think, about, you know, thinking about our community, how to give back, um, and how to make yeah, like as we move forward to Redmond 2050, how do we uh, maintain a lot of that community uh, support for each other? Thank you. Um, the other thing I wanted to do just before I, I talk about a little bit about me, um, it's a thank as well. I want to thank Jeff and Glenn and Becky and Lauren and Ian and Odra and everybody else that spent a ton of time with us as community members. Um, every once a month, every Thursday for the last three years. So thank you all for really, really making it an engaging um, thing to be involved with. Um, I'm Adam Coleman. I've been in Redmond 14 years. Uh, my wife and I work here. Our, our son has just gone to college. So he has lived here for a significant amount of time as well. Um, and we love living in Redmond. It's just a great place to live. Why did I... Uh, get involved uh, here, but apart from just the community side of it, um, a bit of background as well for me. So I'm, I'm hopefully you can still tell I'm, I'm actually from the UK. <laughs> uh, um, and I come from a town uh, called Chippenham, and Chippenham's in a, in a fairly, fairly rural area. It's a little bit like Redmond, um, but it's, it was actually founded in 850 AD, a um, long time ago. And uh, when I think about um, the town now, there were decisions made in the 60s, planning decisions. It was a beautiful town, had Georgian buildings in the downtown and a beautiful bridge. And they made some really terrible decisions in the 60s, which actually resonate and echo now in the way that people's experiences are in the town. And it's an amazing spot in terms of where it is, in terms of, of it's on the main train line, it's on the main motorway. But the actual planning decisions back then really affect people today. My parents still live in that town. My brother still lives in that town. I go back fairly regularly. So it's rare to have the opportunity to be involved in something where you can actually look ahead 30 years, particularly where you live. Um, so for me, it's like Redmond's in a significant moment of change and has been over the last few years and will continue to be so. So for me, really, and uh, it was really about like, what do we want Redmond to be for our kids 
um, you know, hopefully we'll all have sort of children who can, uh, who can um, be, be here in the future. And it's really related to that. Um, so, you know, thank you for the opportunity of doing it. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and then just in terms of, uh, before Jeff jumps into the next part, um, in terms of our role in all of this, like really all the policies and things like that, of course, city staff put together. And so a lot of us on the council, you know, are not like, a lot of this is our first time, you know, getting involved in the city. And so, you know, a lot of us are coming at it from more of like, what is our experiences living in the city, right? What are the things that, you know, um, people talk about, like their commutes and, you know, bike trails that they love and things like that, that are really near and dear to their hearts. So um, that's kind of the perspective. So if you see kind of like that feedback column um, next to a lot of the different policies that you're reading about, um, some of those kind of came from different members of the CAC. I'm going to spend a very small amount of time talking about kind of how the CAC worked and how that how the work of the CAC filters into what you're reading as council members. Um, this is a very simplified uh, flowchart, I guess, of how information is getting to the city council, where the input is going. Um, so the CAC the community advisory committee is in the blue box. They're providing information mainly directly to staff in the monthly meetings and in between those monthly meetings. Um, Cindy and Adam were also good enough to come and present to the Planning Commission in October. <clears throat> and so provided direct input in that way. And then of course, I'm here tonight to provide direct input to you. But you're also seeing the results of their work um, as the policy drafts evolve. Um, that some of the changes that occur from the first drafts to the second drafts are the result of the input provided by the CAC. Um, and so it, it comes to you directly, but also indirectly. <clears throat> uh, when the Community Advisory Committee started at the end of 2020, uh, we spent a little bit of time on just kind of what is planning and how does that work in Washington State and what is it that we need to do uh, with Redmond 2050, and that's similar information that we've provided to council in the past. Um, we then dove into every element of the plan um, in basically the same sequence uh, as the planning commission, as the city council. Uh, but broadly, um, most of the time, the community advisory committee saw the drafts first, um, and then the city council, or then the planning commission, excuse me, and then the city council. And so all the elements are here on the slide in the tiles. Um, and then uh, as we have done with Planning Commission and City Council, there are a couple of topics um, that thread through multiple um, elements and are a little bit cross-cutting. The idea of complete neighborhoods is one of them. And then this uh, new idea of community design is another. And so at, after three years of discussion, uh, we we asked the community advisory committee members, all of them, to um, let us know kind of what they thought the biggest opportunities were to make a difference in this plan update and what the biggest challenges they see are for Redmond going forward. Um, and um, Adam and Zini are gonna attempt to distill all of that into uh, a few minutes of discussion here for you tonight. Okay, sounds good, thank you, Jeff. Um, yeah, we'll touch on kind of two big themes that we think we saw around um, opportunities to make a difference. Um, one was we spent quite a lot of time talking about, you know, what we want our community to look and feel like. You know, I think especially coming as community members, you know, living in different parts of the community. Um, 
I think it was really important for a lot of people that we kind of maintain walkable neighborhoods, you know, neighborhoods that feel like complete and have, you know, interesting things in them. And that um, I think there was a lot of alignment on the committee that we wanted each of the different parts of Redmond to kind of still be, feel like distinct from each other and not just be, you know, I think um, somebody had said before, like, we don't want to be like, just like Bellevue, you know, or something like that, but have like, you know, our own, um, our own uh, feel. And I think where we feel like it's different right now is we love our parks. We love, you know, all the things that um, we have today that make Redmond feel just a little bit more, I think, um, I don't know, less like city-like than, you know, like Bellevue, but, you know, recognizing that we also need to like, ex you know, grow our density and grow, you know, so how do we kind of keep that same feel? So um, city staff had kind of worked with us going from neighborhood to neighborhood talking about, you know, what we wanted that to look like. Um, and we also kind of talked about, you know, how do we then um, plug in the different services and things like that into those neighborhoods and where do we feel like the need was highest in um, certain neighborhoods for that. Um, and so I think, you know, some of the themes we saw were, you know, I think Overlake became, you know, a big area of not only growth, but also thinking about how do we um, maintain services there and make sure, you know, even with light rail going in, um, what are the different transportation options to get to, you know, places like, um, you know, like the senior center and things like that. So, um, yeah, and I think that was largely, I think, where we saw like the community member get, or the community get most excited, I think, is when we started talking about, yeah, the different look and feel of different places. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, uh, the biking. I think there's quite a few people who join the council because they love how much um, they can bike around, uh, you know, I think Redmond. And so I know we have at least two to three members who could probably like name several routes around the city that they, um, that they really want to maintain and maintain kind of a shaded um, biking route that, um, you know, continues to feel like it's an active, uh, active place. Mm -hmm. Do you want to touch on the inclusion and transportation? Yeah, um, thank you. Yes, the, the, um, on the inclusion side, I th there's a quote actually that we have that's included in the documents that really talks about sort of increasing density while ensuring diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's from one of the the, uh, the members um, who wrote in because of, uh, we were asking for, for input. So that really sums up a lot of what we're really talking about with inclusion and making sure that you know you have, for example, affordability. So how does that work? How do you make sure when you've got that increased density, how do you increase affordability and enable that for everyone to be able to you know, have that um, ownership opportunity, those sorts of elements? Um, the uh, condos versus apartments uh, discussion came up a lot in terms of how do we enable people to be able to you know, have that, again, have that ability to buy. Um, the, the aspect of duplex, triplex, Quadplex is that a term? Well, I guess it is now. But anyway, something like that. <laughs> but the um, the ability for people to build those in other parts of Redmond, um, as well as when we talk about inclusion, making sure that people who have lived here for a long time also feel that you know it's actually working for them too in that environment. So making sure you don't alienate people who've been here for a long time, as well as helping people you know come in and as as uh, that changes. Um, and you know, effectively, it's just ensuring that we sort of enable all people in the community to feel welcome um, and feel like they can actually live here and have the same experience as somebody else who's been here for a long time. So, you know, that's the growth aspect and that sort of culture and you know, economic diversity. So, here we go.
Um, yeah, but good with the opportunities comes many challenges. Um, and so I think over the last three years, we've seen kind of common themes come up again and again when we look at the policies around, you know, I think in particular things that tend to have tensions with each other. So, you know, one is I think we're all in agreement that we love walkability and, you know, and having transportation options and having them be frequent. Um, but, you know, uh, one of the trade-offs then is maybe like noise pollution and things like that, right? And so there's some ten inherent tensions. Um, but I think in particular, um, two sides of the council we've really seen is there's, you know, the group that's really, really passionate, I think, about sustainability and how do we, um, you know, how do we meet our sustainability goals? Are we being, you know, urgent enough about our goals as well as what we're doing? Um, but at the same time, you know, in the same breath, we also want to address, like, you know, the housing affordability and things like that. And so, um, I think I would say like both kind of felt like equally important to people and to various people on the council. Um, and so those came up, you know, again and again. So I think when we looked through the policies, a lot of it was kind of like, okay, you know, is this being too prescriptive and will this make it so that, you know, all houses have to be like super expensive, you know, or, um, you know, oh, is this policy, you know, not, I guess, like have enough teeth to it when it comes to enforcing sustainability goals. So uh, I think that tended to be a lot of the patterns that we saw um, as we were reading through the um, do the documents. Do you want me to talk about the infrastructure piece? Yeah. Um, you know, with the decision you know, some time ago to make sure there was a lot of that density downtown and with light rail coming in, that was a big part of the discussion when it came to infrastructure in terms of accessibility there to light rail. What does that mean? How does that work? Um, the walkability and accessibility for everybody, so what, whatever your need to actually get to a place, um, how, does, how does that happen? The other, I think, fairly um, significant conversation we had was around last mile travel, which is related to that. Um, I happen to, my family and I, we live on um, Education Hill. Uh, it's a bit of a hill to get down, to get into downtown, but it's certainly on, on the way back, um, but it's not that far. Um, and that is something which a lot of people talked about. How do you get accessibility in terms of being able to get to light rail when it comes in from different parts of, of Redmond? Um, the other aspect, this is just a personal comment, which is if you thought 30 years ago of what Redmond would be like now and the ability is to have electric cars, people probably thought we'll probably have flying cars at this point. We don't. But, um, you know, we've all hopefully watched Back to the Future too. But ultimately, um, how do we think about the... Uh, the nature of, of, of technology and technology change um, that we don't know now. So in 30 years' time, what would it be like going from where we live down to light rail and thinking outside the box a little bit and what might come feels like uh, something which we should consider because the whole point of our, our committee was to think 30 years out as much as like five years out. So that, that, was, that was one other part. Um, the other thing is sensitivity of of what that actually means in terms of infrastructure and having everything so focused downtown with light rail coming in, that's going to you know, change the nature of downtown. So, some of the things we talked about earlier about what's the, what's the feeling of Redmond that's going to change. So people, there's some degree of, of sort of concern there and how do we make sure that's both a safe place for people to be and a place where people want to be and that light rail is something people feel like, I want to go use that. Um, so it's so central to the centre of town. So that, that, that transportation aspect and accessibility to it was, was, was really key. Um, I don't know, the other thing that's not on the infrastructure piece here was about local community. So I'll touch on that quickly. What we mean by that is we had a, we had a, a very good conversation, I think, um, positive conversation about how do, you, how do you make things more local? So, for example... 
you know, in different parts of, of Redmond where, you know, you've got to go somewhere, you've got to go to, you know, QFC or Trader Joe's or you name, you name the place you're trying to go and buy. How can you do more of that locally? How can you make more local kind of community in places where you don't have, um, say, a small shop area or a coffee shop and, you know, those sorts of things? How can we actually make that feel more like a community experience for people in places where it doesn't exist at the moment? Is there, are there properties where that's, that's possible to do as well? So that was, that, was a, that was a fairly significant conversation one of the evenings. Um, people were very energized by that. Um, how you make that happen, again, you know, uh, we're, not, we're not sure exactly how that would work, but that's that was something which was pretty key. So... So, Jeff, I think that was all we had. Do you all have any questions for us or about the feedback? Thank you so much for sharing those insights, uh, Ms. Joffrey and, and Mr. Coleman. Um, are there any questions for our presenters? Councilmember Salahuddin. Uh, just a very brief question. Um, do you have an, a guess of how many folks are on um, this committee? Yeah, that's a good one. I know Jeff probably has the official number, but I'd say over the last three years, we had like kind of one cohort that came in at the beginning, and that was that lasted probably most of the way through two years, right, Jeff? And that was maybe around 15 to 20 people. And then um, kind of midway through, um, we had quite a few people who couldn't extend, you know, past that. And so then we brought on, I think, an additional 15 people, Jeff, or 10, maybe 10 people, yeah, we brought on. Yeah, I think about just, a couple dozen total. Mm-hmm. A quick follow-up to that. Um, how do folks get uh, involved with the committee? How can, um, you know, general public provide feedback to this committee? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so I know uh, there's several ways to get involved. So being on the committee, I know we're just wrapping up our work now. So this next Thursday is our last meeting after three years. Um, but for future things like this, um, I think a lot of us just went through an application online um, and then Mayor Bernie went through them uh, and selected um, you know, applicants. Um, but in terms of getting feedback into the process, um, there's been a ton of community events um, almost at every, you know, like Derby Days or you know, a Redmond Lights Festival. Um, there's almost always a Redmond 50 booth. Um, and then in addition, uh, there's a bunch of different ways you can get involved either through like online polls or events, you know, that the city will run around, um, you know, oh, like how do you feel about this map, you know, and things like that. So there's a lot of different ways to get um, involved. Um, and, you know, I was telling Vanessa uh, too that, you know, sometimes there'll be outreach to specific groups as well. And so, um, you know, we've done that with schools and um, Jeff has done that with various like local community groups as well. Thank you so much. And one quick follow-up for the, the staff on this. Um, first of all, just want to recognize that from the timing, if I can calculate correctly, we've been serving for over three years on this. Really incredible. Thank you for, for that time. Um, for the staff, I'm curious, because we'll be continuing some of the work this year as we get close to the final drafts, will there be a reconvening of this group at any point, or is this really the closeout and then it'll be passed now to Planning Commission to finish off that part of the work? Yeah, that's a great question. It's really the latter. Um, the Community Advisory Committee has seen at least two drafts of every element. And so based on the feedback from the Community Advisory Committee, we are revising those second drafts and input also from Planning Commission and City Council um, to bring final drafts to the Planning Commission for hearings and study sessions um, before adoption later this year. Great, thank you. And I see Councilmember Stewart has her hand raised. 
Thank you so much. I just wanted to thank you both so much for your years of service on this and at hearing your um, the things that were important to you. I, I felt really confident that we heard that feedback in the various drafts that we've been seeing. So it was so such so, such a nice reminder to have you share things that um, have been so central to the documents that we've been reviewing thus far in the process. So I really do hope that you will both stay very engaged because um, after we complete this wonderful comprehensive plan, we have the, the work of implementing it for the next generation. So again, just thank you both so much. I would definitely echo that. Thanks. Councilmember Fields. Thank you. So as I read and I listened, um, it, it's pretty clear that a lot of the discussions that you all had are reflect to a very large extent the discussions and concerns, um, conflicts, opportunities. I can can't think of any more words, sorry, but uh, that we've had on council uh, as, as far as our envisioning a future Redmond. And I've been in Redmond's mostly since 19, I don't know, 76. Uh, so I've been here a while. Um, and and I, I see the work that you've done. Uh, I have a couple questions. What... Um, there's a point where identifying the problem is great, but then you go, oh, what are the details of the solution? And I don't know that the council uh, has really, we've got made progress, but you're down there in the detail and you're talking to people who have a, um, a variety of interests. That's, and that was impressive too, by the way, the, 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 the number of people that, are inputting, but how can this process um, be empowered or improved to actually bring those concerns and those um, ideas and those conflicts to a place where we, we have a good path forward? How, how, what suggestions, I'm not asking you to solve that problem, I'm asking you to say what suggestions based on your experience and the troubles that you went through, what can we do to make it going forward more uh, specific, more concrete, more empowered? Uh, yeah, no, I think uh, that's a really good question. And I know that's something that we've struggled with a lot on the committee the last two years because city staff always has to remind us like, hey, you're giving feedback on not even necessarily like policies all the time, right? They're like plans for the future and they need to be worded in a way that give room for, you know, city council to be able to implement different solutions in the future that might come up. Um, and so I think a lot of that has been, you know, the conversations have been up leveled, but um, in the committee itself, you know, I think there's been a lot of people who really want to talk about, you know, for instance, for sustainability, right? There's been a ton of ideas brought up around like, hey, what are some like micro, you know, experiments we could do? And I think there's a real appetite um, on the committee for trying things, you know, and not necessarily always having to have it be like a, you know, citywide plan or things like that, right? And so I think um, that there was always like, kind of this feel for like, hey, we want to like have these like micro experiments or these ways to move faster and with more urgency. Um, and so I think, you know, that was, and I think there was a little bit more appetite for, you know, doing things that, you know, maybe are a little bit more innovative in terms of, you know, um, 
like building, you know, I think, uh, I'm trying to think, like there was a lot of talk about like rooftop, you know, experiments, right? Like how do you leverage that space better for, you know, for instance, like schools that are integrated into, you know, mixed use communities and things like that. Um, and so I think, I'm not sure, you know, Jeff probably knows like where some of those like more smaller suggestions are captured versus, right, like what you're seeing most of the time in the documents are more of the very up-leveled kind of policies that we all kind of gave feedback on at the end and said like, yes, this seems to fit all the like very specific things that we, you know, also talked about during the committee. Um. Yeah, I think, you know, thinking about your question about concerns, I think a lot of the conversation we had was about like what's opportunities and how do we deal with that. But there were certainly some places I think where there was tension in terms of the conversation. One of those is around things like homelessness in terms of thinking about the increase of things that might happen with light rail. So certainly that, that came up. But the, the other side of the coin to that, to, to your question, is um, having very active, specific, communicated details to the community. So here's what our assumptions may be, you know, um, and here's what, we, here's what we plan to do in certain situations. Sometimes it's really about scenario planning. So scenario A, here's what we, we would do. Scenario B, here's, B, here's what we do. But being particularly specific to some of those, those places. To be honest, there weren't that many of those, but that is certainly one that, that, that came up um, that I know is, is, is something we, we need to consider. And that came up with the, with the group. Yeah, and I will say that um, also I think, you know, at least for Redmond 2050, because we're looking so far into the future, you know, I think there were like a lot of concerns around like, how do we as community members get more involved in like the specific things before, you know, like we see the impact. I, it was, I know somebody had brought up, for instance, like, you know, there was like a row of trees that got, you know, cut down right along where they bike every day. And now there's like a stretch that's super hot to bike, you know, or something like that. Right. And they were like, well, we didn't really know that was happening until it happened. And then, you know, like, so, um, you know, how do we as community members, you know, see those things ahead of time and like have a way to get involved, I think, um, in terms of specific implementation. And it was really hard to like take that problem and say like, how do we uplevel that into a policy that would protect that, right? Because um, the policy that like enabled that to happen was also made for good reason, right? Like so that sidewalks could be built, you know, in a place that feels safer. Um, and so, you know, I think there were a lot of those like natural tension things where people kind of felt like, yes, this policy sounds good, but the specific implementation of this policy feels like it flew in the face of like, you know, something else that we really cared about. Yeah. So that's great because that was actually my second question. Yeah. And um, I mean, the CAC is a, is a great idea and it's, a, uh, it's needed, it's necessary. But hopefully any, any organization uh, creates a legacy of involvement and creates a legacy, uh, the inertia of uh, inviting people in and, and as the plan unfolds and the details become more clarified, will we maintain that uh, community um, engagement and that community involvement? And so I appreciate that was my question. You will kind of already answered it, so thank you. Can I add something as well? Yeah, I think, I mean, we haven't talked, I think, necessarily about the people that have been involved. There's some people who are very passionate. You know, we're, we're just reflecting the, 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 some of our own views, obviously, but the views of, 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 uh, of everybody who's been on the committee, and, and a lot of them for, for three years. Um, so whether we can 
continue with that, whether it's an outside in-group that you, you go to on, a, on, a, on an as-needed basis. But people have invested that time. Um, the other thing I'd say, I was just thinking about, like, you know, the slide that Jeff was showing earlier about all the different aspects that we talked about, it's housing or transportation, et cetera. And I was reflecting on what does that mean when we think about the work we've been doing? It's really hard to look into the future and, and, and think about 30 years ahead. So I was going to ask this question here, which was, what would you want people to describe? How would you want a visitor or a new resident to describe Redmond in 2050 to really boil it down when somebody comes here, either you know, as a new resident or someone who's coming to visit you as a family member? When they go home, how, what would you want to say about Redmond and their experience? Hopefully, one, everybody's probably got, got some thoughts around that. But that's the thing that struck me at the end of all of this, which is that's what we're really trying to do, is make that experience great for everybody, whether a visitor or a resident, and how you describe it. So thank you. Such a good question for us to, to marinate on. Um, are there other questions from the council? All right, seeing no others, I'm going to ask one of my questions. Uh, so, uh, and, and uh, have many for you, but I, I will ask, you mentioned how you had a lot of conversations about um, the future kind of distinction between our neighborhoods and, and how the kind of feel of the different neighborhoods. And today we're going to be discussing that, that element that is new in the comp plan as well around community design. Um, in particular in this comp plan, we have in Overlake, uh, we're planning to see a ton of growth as well as some changes in, in downtown and some of our other areas. So I'm curious if you could just give us some top lines of how the group that you were with was envisioning, for example, the differences between Overlake versus downtown, that, that look and feel. How would you describe it at a high level? one um, I'm trying to think of like a couple words that have come to mind I know we talked about like downtown you know it kind of feels like almost done like in the sense that like there, it is absorbing you know growth but it kind of feels like you know people kind of feel like okay that's like a traditional kind of downtown Pacific Northwest you know kind of building feel um, maybe a little bit more bustling hopefully a lot of walkable walkability and things like that um, and then I know in Overlake, we've had several conversations. One is, um, you know, how do we kind of pay homage to kind of the natural, like organic, you know, Asian community that's kind of sprung up there in Overlake. And so I know that's been some topic discussion around how did the community feel about, you know, kind of leaning into that as a city and doing a little bit more of like an international district or building parks that are kind of inspired by that in, um, in, in particular by um, Crossroads area. Um, and I'm trying to think like other parts of Overlake, I think, um, because I think it's so like parking lot heavy right now, I think people are having a really hard time like in envisioning like, okay, you know, like how are we building the look and feel of it? But I think, um, I think the idea is that they didn't want it to just be like a copy carbon stamp of what is in downtown right now. And so maybe like buildings that, yeah, like have a little bit more like heritage feel either because of like the Asian flair or because of, you know, uh, maybe we can build up some other like more like artsy cultural kind of feel. Um, you know, and so I think that was some of the discussion. And I know um, industrial district was like more what people were picturing um, coming out of uh, like the Overlake, or not Overlake, sorry, the, um, what's it called? Like the Marymore Village, like Bear Creek area. Um, and so those are kind of like the different pockets that I kind of remember people yeah. talking about. Yeah, I'm just gonna maybe just mm -hmm. um, build on that a little bit. There, there was definitely the conversation, do you want them to be the same, like Overlake and Downtown mm -hmm. or not? And that, that, was, that was a pretty um, good conversation because 
almost everybody's like, no, they, we'd like them to be different, right. and how to think about that. I also think we were also quite surprised when Jeff was showing us the growth numbers over the next 30 years. We were like, wow, that's got a lot of people. Um, how, how's that going to work? And then the density opportunities, like where does that density go? So I thought that, that, was, that was kind of interesting. The other thing I think is, I, if I remember, and maybe mm-hmm. correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, I, I think we, we had a conversation about, if you go to New York, there's the Flatiron Building, right? There's the what used to be the Pan Am Chrysler Tower, whatever it's called now. You know, there were sort of there were sort of anchor places. You go, I'm here. Like, what is that in Redmond? Was you know, I guess it goes back a bit to my question before, but but you know, is there an anchor building? Is this something we should build that that, that actually says this is Redmond, um, or do we have something already where we actually want to build on that in terms of like here's here's what Redmond downtown looks like but there is there wasn't really a this is sort of the anchor place to say this is redmond this particular spot it's downtown obviously but um is there a building that we could we could do that with so yeah and i think i remember also like um i think part of the policies that were kind of spread out was there was like you know different policies talking about like um building native american you know kind of like art and like installations in each of the different neighborhoods um which i thought was interesting um but then it kind of also felt like we didn't want it to just be like you know for instance when you go by fred meyer today it just kind of feels like stuck into like a little like you know it's like everything else around it is big box stores and then there's just like this little piece and so you know if there's like you know a way that we could build like a bigger park around it or you know some kind of like um yeah i don't know like something more iconic i guess you know to, to your point yeah Thank you so much. That was a fantastic answer. So um, are there any other questions that have come up? All right. Um, well, I'll say thank you so much for, you. for this presentation and your incredible work over this time. And thanks to the entire um, committee for, for all this work, as well as the staff. Um, and I'll pass it back to Director Helen. I'm going to actually uh, let it Singyi and Adam can stay with us, or you can also okay. not if Thank you, you choose much. not to. But uh, I will uh, hand the microphone over to Jeff again. Thanks, Carol. Uh, we have a very brief presentation to introduce the um, the four elements that Carol listed earlier. Uh, and what I would like the council to know is that. In the, we're kind of in the green ring here where we're looking at second drafts of these elements. We looked at first drafts of these four elements and others uh, back in September and October. Um, the biggest thing that's new with these second drafts, as I'm sure you saw, is that there's narrative kind of wrapped around the policies. And, and we hope that that makes it all feel a little bit more cohesive and answers many of the context questions you may have had with the first draft, because with the, just the policies, sometimes things kind of feel like they come out of the field, but with the narrative, you can really introduce the concepts. Um, so those are the big things. I'm gonna turn it over to Glenn to introduce um, the four elements in turn, and then we'll turn it back over to you for discussion. Hello, council members and mayor, and happy new year, and welcome to the new council members. Um, welcome and look forward to working with you all. I'm Glenn Coyle, senior planner in the long range planning team. I'll provide an overview of updates to four of the sections or elements of the comp plan update. Uh, the first is the capital facilities element, which, uh, just to provide a little background, uh, provides information and policy direction on the city's existing facilities as well as planning for future facilities, including its financial planning and capital investment strategy. 
As this is a rather technical element of the comp plan, comments were limited and mainly focused on the technical terms used in the element and how these policies support Redmond 2050. The primary changes for the second draft include adding narrative text to the policies, including a vision statement, and updating levels of service standards related to um, related pump, uh, functional plan updates, such as the park plan and the transportation master plan. And next slide. The utilities element provides policy direction for the planning and placement of utilities in Redmond, both city-owned, such as our water system, and private, such as energy and telecommunications. Comments and feedback received focus on how these policies could support more equitable service provision. Updates in the second draft include the narrative and vision statement, new framework policies for both city-owned and private utilities, as well as updates to the hazardous liquid pipeline section. Next section. The natural environment element contains policies on environmental stewardship, as well as policies on critical areas, including the CARA, wetlands, and other conservation areas. In addition, there are policies on tree canopy and noise and light pollution. Comments on this were minimal and were very supportive of the updates. Changes for the second draft include an updated narrative and vision statement. In addition, Section B, Environmentally Critical Areas, has been updated as part of the Critical Areas Regulations Update, which is a separate but related plan and process the city is currently um, working on. Lastly, the Climate Resilience and Sustainability element is a new element which is intended to meet recently adopted state requirements for climate planning, as well as support the city's ongoing climate and greenhouse gas reduction efforts. And I would also just like to quickly note our environmental sustainability manager, Jenny Liebeck, is here uh, if there are any uh, additional questions or comments on this element. Um, with the, in terms of feedback overall, I would say the response uh, to this element has been very positive and that the community is excited that the city is moving forward on this ahead of state requirements to do so by 2029. We received a lot of great comments and suggestions, especially from the folks on the CNC who you just met. Um, this is summarized on the slide. Um, with this, we updated the second draft to include a vision statement and narrative, updated many of the proposed policies based on community feedback, and added five additional policies. Uh, so with that, that concludes my update, and happy to take any questions and comments. Great. Are, are there questions from the council? Councilmember Stewart, kick us off. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, and Happy New Year. Great to be with you all. I did want to quickly just acknowledge um, the news that we also heard over the break from Director Helen that um, the final SEPA environmental review as part of Redmond 2050 was completed. So just wanted to thank and congratulate the entire team um, for their work on that. So thanks so much for introducing um, these elements. I had a couple of comments um, uh, about just a couple of recurring things. And then I have a question about one of the utility um, policies, UT5. Is it okay if I ask that question? Okay. So a couple of my um, high-level things that I saw a couple of times um, are partners such as other levels of government, nonprofits, and private agencies were listed a few times. And I actually just got to wondering about the role of philanthropy, possibly adding philanthropy as a fourth partner in those opportunities, um, especially when it comes to availability of capital assets or future pieces of land, those kinds of things. Um, and there was just one instance where 
um, the narrative did a really great job of introducing that our, our city serves up to three school districts, but there was one instance in CS16 that still referred to just a singular district, so I just spotted that. Um, but my question about UT5, which is on page 23 of attachment B, um, it, had a, it had a change since we saw it last, and it, I guess I'll read it so that the public can hear it, but if a utility extension to a potential annexation area becomes necessary and immediate annexation is not possible, condition extension with an agreement to annex in a timely manner and an agreement to design the extension to city development standards, I wasn't super clear on what this meant, and I was just hoping that the council could have a chance to really make sure that we understand um, the implications of this one. This ties into where um, I was kind of noting that the capital facilities and utilities elements can be a little technical, and a lot of it is intended to meet GMA requirements. Um, I don't want to put anybody on the spot uh, trying to explain, or Director Helen, for example, of exactly why that's worded that way. Um, if, if you want to take a shot at it, if not, we can um, try to provide a more clear answer. But a lot of it was really to kind of meet um, GMA and state requirements related to extending utilities outside of the growth, um, outside the, you know, the, the urban, urban growth boundary. Mm -hmm. Sure. Right. There's state law that actually limits the amount of urban levels of service that we can extend outside of our annexed areas of our city. So what this um, policy says is, for instance, if there were to be a system failure of some sort, um, somebody's septic field failed, or there was um, some environmental issue associated with um, utilities that are provided, that we could actually uh, seek basically we could offer an exemption and allow that to extend and provide that extension with the condition that that area gets annexed into the city in a reasonable amount of time. Although that language is basically rooted in GMA and the provision of urban level service to rural areas. Thank you. So the, the overarching implication that I want to make sure that we understand um, is that if the city... I want to make sure we understand like at a like the 10,000 foot level that this allows us to if we step in for instance in the instance of septic failure or whatnot mm -hmm. if we step in then yeah we're going to help but we're also going to annex you is that the implication so this would only apply in our what is called a PAA a potential annexation area so it's a very limited area of our city where we still have um, regions at the edges uh, Union Hill is still an area they're very small there's some very small areas um, on the east side of the city so it would only be in those cases where we would extend those levels of service in areas that were always anticipated to be annexed anyway mm -hmm. okay Great, thank you. I understand it's uh, technical and whatnot, but I, I do think that we we don't talk about annexation very frequently, and so <laughs> I just want to make sure we understood that. Because, well, interestingly enough, there aren't very many annexation areas left, and you will be talking about annexation this year mm -hmm. because we've received that petition for Rose Hill annexation. I see, yes. Okay. So you'll get some additional grounding in that topic. 
Okay. Um, since we're on super technical, if the chair will allow one more, UT 89 and 90, they are so highly prescriptive, naming the exact team that must be coordinated with. Um, this is on page 37 of attachment B. And I just wondered if we could get some context as to, to why such a policy would be so specific to the Olympic Pipelines Damage Prevention Team. Those updates um, were staff-driven related to um, the Puget Sound Energy's Energize East, um, East Side uh, project, and uh, just uh, some of how the layout related to these pipelines um, had, had been changed, like who, who we talk to or how we coordinate with, um, and that was kind of a, a, a staff-suggested update uh, to those policies. Um, Overall. I can say a little bit about that as well. It was uh, related to the environmental impact statement that was done for Energize East Side. I was actually the environmental coordinator in Bellevue when that ha happened. Um, and we learned through that process that uh, pipelines and um, the metal associated with pipelines actually corrode differently when exposed to some electromagnetic frequencies. And uh, as a result, in certain soil types. So as a result, there was a very significant in exploration of how we could ensure that the pipelines that were installed in the same corridor as the, or the transmission lines that were installed in the same corridor as the pipelines were adequately separated and that had the right spill response because these spill responses are highly technical and actually require um, response from airports. It's similar to creation of an airport fire or other things that could happen. So the specificity of this in this case is to ensure that beyond me being here, Glenn being here, Greg, uh, Jeff being here, that there is this specific team that gets reached out to at Olympic Pipeline or at PSE to ensure that our emergency response is appropriate and construction is appropriate. Thank you. And I would hope it would be highly technical because we would need that in that case. Um, Olympic Pipeline is the entity then that it's not the it's not a state team or an, it, no. the pipeline is owned by Olympic Pipeline. Correct. That's why it is so specific. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Great, uh, Councilmember Nueva Camina. Thank you, Director Helen. Um, following up on Councilmember Stewart's question about the specificity of Olympic Pipelines um, and understanding then if that organization is no longer uh, together any longer, mm -hmm. and, and we're talking about 30 years out, then I just want to confirm then we would need to do a code amendment to rename. So the more, since this was brought up, I was looking at that language, and we should probably have language in there that says, or its successor ownership. So we can track that without having to go back and amend the comprehensive plan, and we'll address that. Thank you. Thanks. Councilmember Salahuddin. I uh, just want to start by saying thank you so much um, for putting this together, and I had a great time reading through it, uh, so I really appreciate that. Uh, one thing that um, you know, I noticed uh, throughout the document, several instances of um, you know, mentioning meeting the needs of underserved or overburdened communities and uh, really addressing how we can best serve those communities, and uh, you know, I, I, I do appreciate that some instances uh, it is vague so that we don't necessarily have to be tied to one specific course of action. Uh, however, um, you know, there's a few few times um, throughout the document, you know, uh, an analysis of how investments impact underserved communities. Um, there was another one 
um, regarding the overburdened communities and how we need to address their needs. Um, is there a, a course of action that uh, we have in mind to target um, you know, those communities in Redmond and uh, would that be something that would be further detailed in this document? Yeah, I'm going to actually, Jeff actually participated with some of the creation with uh, the county staff on development of some uh, policies around that. Can you speak more to that, Jeff? I'm not sure which which county policies are you referring to, Carol? I was thinking about the ones related to um, displacement and underserved populations and the work that we were asked to do, it was more specific to our affordable housing requirements, but uh, uh, yeah. the study that we are required to do in that context. Yeah, so there's a, I, I think there are several prongs to this. So in the housing realm, uh, we were required by countywide planning policies to investigate um, impact racially disparate impacts of housing policies in Redmond. And so we did that in 2023 um, with a grant from the State Department of Commerce um, in consultation with communities that have either been displaced or are at risk of displacement from Redmond. And that also included a lot of historical research into housing policies in Redmond and what they actually have been. I think you will find I know you will find language like that in several places in the plan. And so like, you're not looking at housing tonight, so I know you found it somewhere else that wasn't in the housing element. Um, and I think the response is really depends on what the topic is. Um, so for example, in the case of um, climate resilience and sustainability, for example, um, we conducted a climate vulnerability assessment in 2022. Um, as part of the environmental work, and it it was it was already planned to be done, but we were able to align it with the environmental review process for Redmond 2050, so that we could understand um, who our vulnerable communities are in Redmond vis-a-vis -vis climate resilience and sustainability, <clears throat> um, and include that information in the environmental impact statement, so that. Um, community members in the city council could have that information at hand when making decisions about, you know, how growth should occur in Redmond. Um, so that's, so those are two examples of how those kinds of processes occur and what they can look like, but it's going to, it will just depend on kind of what the topic is, kind of what it looks like. So I'd say broadly. And then just one other comment, uh, council member Salahuddin, uh, the, other things that we've been doing is with grants and other um, outreach, we've been using language uh, translation. We've been, I know that Jeff and his team are hosting an event later in this, later this month that is an immersive Spanish speaking event. So people who have uh, generally been maybe ha had not have as much access to the process are getting greater attention. Absolutely, and I, I really appreciate um, you know both of your answers. I think I, I mean Redmond is not short of uh, serving the communities that are most in need, and I I really appreciate you know including that language so that we can actually move forward in that regard. 
Thanks for that great question. I, I will follow up on that. Um, I know that I think the last time we saw these drafts, especially around the community design element, we were just about to work with Eastside for All um, to be able to convene some of those discussions. I got to go to that, that really great community discussion at the Together Center. And um, and I know they've just been doing all that engagement work. I assume some of that input mm -hmm. is we're seeing here in these drafts. Can you share a little bit about what some of the changes that, that show are showing up in here came out of those conversations? What were some of the, the top line takeaways from there that are now in our comp plan drafts? Sure. Um, if, if I may ask that we defer the community design question until the 23rd, and then we'll, we'll have the staff experts for that um, with us, because so much of that input was related to community design, and I want to I give it a, a fair shake. There was there's been less feedback, as Glenn noted, on things like the utilities element and the capital facilities element, because they can be a little bit arcane. So the public has really dug into things like housing and the environment and um, the community design section, which is new. Got it. So we're going to talk about that on the 23rd. Very helpful for scoping. Can you actually, Director Helen, clarify for us just for the rest of this conversation, which elements we should really focus our questions on tonight versus the 23rd? So tonight is utilities, capital facilities, climate resiliency, and sustainability. And natural environment. And natural environment. Got it. Okay. I thought, thought the community design was included, so appreciate it. <laughs> um, are there other questions from the council? Councilmember Fields. Okay, I'm going to stick with the topic. <laughs> uh, so six years ago when I came on council, I brought um, the concerns that I had learned at my previous job uh, on sustainability. Um, I think we were calling it climate change at the time. We, we might have been calling it global warming. I can't remember. And uh, the city, and I, I pushed very hard that pre previous mayor and the council and then the subsequent councils on uh, an emergency, um, declaring an emergency, a climate emergency and sustainability plans, getting uh, resources in-house to help us. And um, I think the city has made great progress, but I'm basically still concerned and I'm somewhat of an impatient person. Mm -hmm. um, and we understand the problems and we understand the potential of things that could happen to us, uh, to mm -hmm. a lot of communities, but right now we're focused on Redmond. Um, and and I, I was glad to hear that the community, I can't remember who had mentioned it, that the community uh, was uh, supportive and excited that we were out ahead of state requirements and we were uh, somewhat leaders in this area. What I would like to see, if it's possible, is a somewhat of an if-then analysis, meaning um, sort of a, a, a model that says if um, some of the things that we anticipate happen, here's what the city would consider doing. I, because I don't, I, I, I know that it's an uphill battle to get our uh, developer community to uh, understand the need as we, as some of us see it, I won't say we, as some of us see it for uh, green roofs, uh, more energy efficiency and uh, and we're trying to incentivize a lot of those changes. 
But what I would like to see is that we actually understand that if we're going to mitigate the impacts of climate change, that we know what that means and that uh, we will lay down uh, the, the choices and the decisions that future councils and future administrations may need to consider. Look at those now and prepare uh, for the eventuality. Is that kind of analysis possible? It's a good question. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if it's a good question, but it's a burning question for me. So I'm just rereading your question really quick to make sure. I, um, I think there... I don't know that it's possible. I think you know the best way right now that we analyze the impact of our actions is through what's called a wedge analysis, which was included in our plan. Um, it sounds like you're asking, if I'm understanding your question correctly, for more of a trigger. So if we're not meeting our goals, is I just also want to make sure I understand fully what you're, you're requesting, um, that there's some sort of kind of trigger that helps us know we need to insert more actions. Is that... It, it, th that's right, but it's not about um, meeting our goals. Is that, um, my read of this is the unpredictability. Um, I read, and, and who knows? Um, I read, I pay attention, and um, a lot of the experts in this area are saying, uh, oh, here's a, new, here's a new consequence, and it's happening sooner than we thought, and uh, we are still behind. So, so I don't think that the, um, I don't think any of us have the ability to say, here's what we can do to solve this problem. But we can lay out um, possibilities or scenarios, scenario planning, and say, um, if certain things begin to happen in Redmond, like um, additional heat, um, what do they call that thing when the heat globe came on us. Heat dome. Yeah, heat dome. Uh, you know, what, 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 are our, um, what are our actions? What, what would we do to protect the community? What would we do to uh, change the long-term uh, decisions or planning? And, and, you know, obviously flooding is uh, a possibility. So, in uh, wildfires, I don't know what, I, I don't want to go into this dire string of possibilities, but um, that is, in fact, you have it right, only it's not that we're not achieving our goals, it's what happens when the goalposts move. Yeah, that, that helps a lot, thanks for clarifying. I think, um, so one of the things that both our policies um, do within the um, comp plan update, as well as our plan, or ESAP, our plan itself does, is that we commit to updating our plan every five years. And it's to recognize exactly what you're saying, is that technology changes, we have new tools in the toolbox, our conditions change. Um, so recognizing that, you know, we don't adopt a plan and then that's our plan for 30 years. Um, so I'd say that is absolutely our best mechanism. You know, we'll be starting the process again to update a plan that we just adopted. We'll be starting that next um, next year in 2025. And we do again lay that foundation within um, the policies here in this element too for that. And it's the foundation that I'm interested. In. It's not waiting the five years uh, and say, oh, Let's have a look. Everything's changed. How could we have seen that coming? I want to be able to be in a position where we do see those things coming and that when that 
timeframe comes around, we're prepared to actually, um, you know, make the mitigation and make the improvements. So I appreciate that. Actually, that is a very good answer. So thank you. I think it's also important to acknowledge all the work that um, Jenny and others have done to contribute to data collection and um, monitoring. So those will allow us to start identifying trends early as well. So in addition to five-year update, if we start identifying trends from the baseline as we get farther out, obviously we'll have the benefit of more information, more data points that we can link together and adaptively manage sooner than we might need to if the five-year plan is going to be too far out. Thank you. Council Vice President Forsyth. Thank you. Um, along the same conversation, along the same lines, uh, we, we understand that we can't do this work alone and this uh, sustainability effort alone. I didn't see, and can you illuminate for me, where in the policy we recognize um, the need for the, the regional efforts on this front and how we're addressing that? We're looking through it really quick. Sorry, one second. Um, yeah, so it's actually um, one of our, um, Glenn mentioned the formatting piece. Um, it's one of our framework policies actually around developing partnerships um, and programs to rapidly and equitably reduce greenhouse gas emissions because to your point, we know this work is not done in isolation. We absolutely need to be relying on our both local, regional, um, statewide partners to get this work done. Okay, I'm just I'm wondering if there's uh, potentially a bit a bit more language we can add, um, and I don't know what that looks like, but I'll give it some thought. Thank you, Councilmember Anderson. Thank you, um, and I appreciate the comments uh, Director Helen and Ms. Lebeck have given on the, sort of the overall tracking and. Uh, data collection idea. One thing I didn't see specifically outlined in uh, the policy, and this may not be the, the proper place for it, but the concept of being able to, to tie some of these policy measures to dollars. And one way to do that is through our insurance policy, especially when it comes to climate vulnerability. So I wanted to make sure um, there's some room in, in this, um, maybe at the table right now, or just in some of our um, procedural um, discussions about what we are tracking, um, and then to make sure that we can look back on our pretty substantial ESAP plan and say, hey, you know, this ended up saving us some money and we can talk to our community members about what that looks like. So um, there's plenty of resources here in the city, including um, Hank Margison, uh, just as an example of somebody who may have some ideas on that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Did you have your hand up? Oh. Do uh, any other council members have any questions? All right, then I will all go, and if anyone thinks of any, feel free to, to go as a second round. Um, uh, otherwise, we can close off after this. Um, so I guess for me, um, appreciate all the conversation on this. One thing I, I wanted to note about the um, natural environment element, um, well, actually, one thing I'll note first about the climate element is I really loved the vision statement. There are some parts of it where I just wanted to live in that Redmond. It was so exciting where the, you know, all of Redmond is solar powered and where every single home has a heat pump. I loved that idea. Um, although I did wonder with that, 
is, I, I love that that's kind of the goal we're even moving towards today and imagining having the whole city electrified. I don't know if in 2050 heat pumps will be outdated at that point, but uh, hopefully they'll last a good amount of time. Um, I would say, I think my, one of my thoughts looking at the natural environment element um, in the vision statement is that I think it could be a little bit more specific in some ways like we see actually in the climate element. In particular, the first sentence, it leads with uh, Redmond in 2050 has maintained a green character, which I think that's um, just a little amorphous for what it is that we're really aiming towards. What does it mean to have a, a green character in Redmond? Um, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, maybe it's something a little bit more like in 2050, Redmond has protected and stewarded its critical habitat and ensured that all residents have access to green outdoor spaces to promote a high quality of life or, or something like that, right? It's like, what do we mean when we say green character? For me, it, it means that everyone in Redmond could easily walk and have access to some sort of green space, which I think shows up a little bit more in some of the, the policies, but I'd love in that initial vision that we have to see it a little more specifically spelled out there. Um, so that, that was just a, a thought that I had um, on, on that piece um, and in a few parts, I think, of the natural environment of just being like a little bit more specific. Any other comments? All right, well, um, this was a great conversation. Um, Director Helen, can you remind us of the next steps? I know we have another study session that will be coming up on this um, and to prepare council members for that discussion. We do have a study session scheduled for uh, the... 23rd. 23rd. January 23rd. Get my, get my we'll agenda at, back up here. We'll be looking at community design, land use, and participation. So it should be a great conversation. And those are all in your packet for tonight. So you have all the information. Great, thank you very much. And and as a reminder, since at that point, then they'll be heading back to, to kind of do the, the final piece on, on the drafts before we see them one more time for council members, I'd say let's all think of in two weeks from now, the opportunity to really each bring our thoughts on the core questions that were posed tonight of, you know, are you seeing input for those who've given input in the past, reflected in these drafts? Mm -hmm. um, do we feel like they're on the right track? And is there anything missing? Because it's really our opportunity with these study mm -hmm. sessions to be able to, um, to, to give this input and then hopefully that, that guidance for that final piece of the process. So I'll yeah. probably do a little yeah. round of questions in the next study <laughs> session, uh, but knowing we have one more bite at the apple, we won't do that tonight. That would be great. Um, as you noted, we will be, uh, after these second set of drafts, remember we said we would pursue kind of for the new council members, we said we were going to pursue a process similar to the one we used for the budget where we would see these last kind of second rounds of drafts and then we would kind of put those aside and then the next time you will see it, you will see it all together in a single um, draft so that you can see any cross connections and tensions that we might not have addressed when we saw it on an element by element basis. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, just, just a reminder to new council members or all council members um, that in the next two weeks before we have that discussion, if you have further detailed questions, if you wanna go over your notes on page 265, as I like to do, um, you know, feel free to reach out to our really capable staff and um, schedule a meeting with them. I'm sure they would love mm -hmm. to be able to talk with you about it. Absolutely. 
Great. Um, well, thank you. We'll close out this item and move on to the next. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. Thank you and good evening. Um, yes. Um, uh, we will take a five-minute recess and we will return at 8.17. Thank you.
And you're back on. Thank you. Um, and we are back. The next item on the agenda is the Southeast Redmond Park Master Plan Update. Presenting today is Laureen Hamilton, our Parks and Recreation Director, and she will introduce this item. Good evening. Um, I'm Lorreen Hamilton, the Parks and Recreation Director. Uh, I am joined this evening by our Parks Planning Manager, Caroline Chapman, uh, and we are here to present our South, the Southeast Redmond Neighborhood Park Master Plan update for City Council, and we are joined by our consultants from Berger Partnership. And so I'm going to hand it over to Caroline Chapman so she can introduce our guests and also give a little more background, particularly for um, any new council members that we might have. Thank you, Lorraine. And yes, to the new council members, I'm Caroline Chapman. Very nice to see you both here. Um, so we are going to be talking about the Southeast Redmond Neighborhood Park this evening. And the master plan is really the first step in um, getting to a place for design and development of this park. Um, and the neighborhood park is about three acres, roughly the size of Anderson Park in downtown. It's part of the growing uh, Woodbridge and Woodside neighborhood uh, near Cadman Gravel, Costco, and also the uh, Redmond Hill Apartments. As part of our recently adopted park plan, uh, we have a goal within that to have all residents be within a half mile walk of a public park. And during that process, we found that the Southeast Redmond neighborhood is currently underserved compared to some of our other neighborhoods in Redmond. Um, and bringing this park online would go a long way in increasing our level of service, particularly in the growing Southeast Redmond neighborhood. Within the park plan, we also lay out the intent of neighborhood parks, and we'll speak to that this evening, uh, but the types of amenities that are typically found in a neighborhood park and uh, the, the drive for that is really to serve the immediate neighborhood. And you won't see things like rentable uh, picnic shelters or uh, large sports fields that would really act as a magnet to draw folks to this uh, neighborhood area. But we've been really lucky in this process to have uh, great community feedback, and you'll see that reflected within these concepts. Uh, and uh, part of the development of that draft preferred plan. So tonight, uh, we'd like you to review this feedback, those concepts, and also it's your opportunity to really provide input on the preferred draft before we bring forward a final master plan this spring. So with that, I will hand it over to Jordan and Guy with Burger Partnership. Gotta get my mic. I'll be your, I'll be AV guy. Perfect. All right, thanks everyone. Uh, my name is Jordan Zlatov I'm with Berger Partnership. We are landscape architects and we worked on this project. Um, do you wanna introduce yourself as well, Guy? I'm Guy Michelson, also with the Berger Partnership and with some nice Redmond roots, having worked here before on the Redmond Central Connector and a bunch of other super cool projects. All right, so yeah, we are Super excited to be here and working on this project. This uh, first graphic that we're showing here is just a overview slide to show uh, the overall process of uh, the master plan project that we're working on. We've been uh, working on this project since about um, August, July, August and of 2023. And so where we're at right now, we've had uh, two public meetings so far and we are uh, we've gone through a process of kind of some alternate 
concepts plans, and now we're honing in on uh, number four here. Our, our final preferred plan is our next um, milestone that we're working towards. So what you're going to see today is the draft preferred plan. So that's where we're at right now in the process and looking to finish up in the next month or two here. And so here's some photos. We uh, started out with a public meeting um, originally to, um, <laughs> yes, initial public meeting was to gather input before we did uh, design work and really kind of share site analysis and kind of programming and activity ideas with the public. And so we had a great meeting on site, uh, lots of families, lots of kids, lots of uh, feedback. You can see some of the photos here. There may have been some uh, voter fraud with extra dots being handed out. And so there's a lot of uh, fun was had in the meeting. But we, got, we also got a lot of great feedback, and, and it, was, it was really uh, positive. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for color commentary, and I just want to say it was like one of my favorite public meetings ever because we aspire to get A people and then B to get a diverse mix of people and then C to get youth because we never get youth and then D to get teenagers because they're like the non-existent population for parks. I mean, meaning they're one of the biggest user groups, but you just can't reach them. And then unfortunately, I think a lot of more mature uh, in age people sort of write off teens as juvenile delinquents and it was just the best meeting and we got the best input and it was so fun and it was great like the end in particular really strong advocacy for that teen group acknowledging that teens need a really cool place to be and it was wonderful yeah so so uh, we took all the you know the dot exercises and we also had an online questionnaire and a questionnaire that was handed out in person at the public meeting we got lots of great input um, to take us to the next step i'm not going to read all this stuff directly but i think some of the main themes that really stood out from from the feedback that we got was people were really excited about uh a space that felt like a, a getaway in a, in a sense from the sort of more urban context of the site and, and really felt natural and... and um, hey, you want to sleep your little update there? <laughs> excuse my... Yeah, excuse that. Yeah. All right. Um, and so that was one theme. And, and another one that Guy was just alluding to was a place that really served all ages. That was a really big comment that we heard from a number of people. So all you know young kids up through teens and and older people as well and so a lot of community members were excited about that and another this is kind of just going through the uh kind of quantification if you will of the public input that we got which you're welcome to kind of dig into more but uh, for the sake of time i'm not going to get into too much detail here um but we like I said, lots of great feedback and, and useful information that we used in developing our next uh, round of design concepts. I have to chime in, which is um, the city of Redmond did this really cool uh, exhibit welcoming people to, and when I see, I, I mean the amazing city staff did this amazing cool handout for people to sort of draw what they wanted in their park and they did a shape of the park and we got really, really cool feedback. Again, from, especially from kids and then adults pretending to be kids to try to get their input more value. 
but it was really cool. All right, so yeah, this is like a, a very high level kind of overview just to kind of describe the process of how we take that uh, input that we get from the initial public meeting and then uh, the next step that we go to is to develop three different concept alternatives uh, that start to explore the different activities and ideas that, that we're uh, coming up with based on these things and then uh, those kind of get synthesized into the preferred plan. And so it's not that we're necessarily picking one or the other of these options. It's kind of sharing that back to the community, hearing their response, getting input, and then synthesizing that into the preferred plan option that we're also going to show you today. And my computer will catch up. There we go. Um, so as we started to delve into concept design, uh, we just had wanted to share a, f a few of our core kind of leading design principles that, that helped us organize our, our approach. And so first one on the top left here is just that we felt like the, the heart, if you will, the main gathering space of the park wanted to be really kind of centered within the space. Um, the west edge is along a, a pretty uh, busy street, so we wanted to stay buffered from that. And then kind of the main community is to the south and the east, and so we, we felt like the, the heart of the, the site wanted to be there in the middle. And there's also a note on there about the vegetated buffer along the north edge, which we felt like was an important element to kind of frame the park from, from the development that is being planned on the property to the north. So the next one on the top right here, you see rewilding. So that, that really means like bringing back, you know, this site right now, if you look at it, it's basically just a big open grass field. And that we felt it was really important to uh, bring back some nature, bring back some trees, the canopy, the shade, the sort of feeling that you get from, from kind of being within that environment. And that was something that was really supported by the community's feedback as well. And regional connectivity, making sure we're kind of working within the framework of, of the overall uh, region and context of connections and trails and things like that. And then also just kind of making sure that we're seeing the connections to the immediate neighborhood that you see on the bottom right there, all the crosswalks and, and major connections there. And so uh, this is the first of our concept alternatives that we prepared. We called it contemporary promenade. Uh, it was sort of focused around this main promenade along the south edge. I'm not going to go into too much detail on and the three concepts, but you'll see that we synthesize some of these uh, main elements into the, the final preferred concept. So this is the first one, uh, contemporary promenade. And then the second concept was called the wilds. It was, you know, a more informal take on kind of the path uh, network and geometries and just a little bit more loose kind of approach to laying out the park and uh, with that big central playground area. And one of the really kind of important elements uh, that we were ended up getting really excited about in the park design was incorporated into this concept which we called Sunset Hill and 
we were just really excited to to kind of get this idea that actually came out of one uh, some comments that we got during the initial public meeting from from the public. So it was like able to translate that directly into sort of our design here, and and we all just got really excited about it. And so that that's showing up in this concept here. Um, and the third concept alternative here is called threads. Um, also known as friendship bracelet. And so this one really was organized around uh, two uh, sort of intertwining paths, if you will, that, that work their way through the park and frame different spaces and create uh, little pods of gathering. Sorry, this, this is my time for my line, which we, we were doing this work around the time of the Taylor Swift shows in Seattle. So we had friendship bracelets on the brain. Okay, so those were the, th the three concepts. Um, and uh, as I said, we, we presented those to the community and, and got great feedback in our second public meeting. Um, we then took that feedback and started to hone that into uh, one preferred concept. Um, some of the key elements that we took from each of the three are listed here. So on design concept one, we wanted to kind of incorporate that promenade idea. We felt that had good merit and got good reception. Uh, the nice flexible play space for teens and wheels that you see on the uh, right side of that one. Lots of natural planting. And then concept two, which was kind of the, the most preferred and, and most well kind of received and, and one that we were all really excited about became kind of the, the core kind of framework of the park that we started to develop into the preferred plan. Uh, you can see the Sunset Hill, the variety of circulation options, the um, arrangement of features, the large gathering and playground area, and the natural stormwater play opportunities were all components that we were really excited to carry forward. And design concept three was, there was just uh, general circulation, the intertwining paths, the fun playground with some topography elements, the community garden was something that people were excited about, and the large flexible play space for uh, teens similar to the first concept. So once my computer Big catches reveal. up. Big reveal. Hey. <laughs> So yeah, here's the the preferred draft preferred plan that we've developed from all the feedback and and design work that we've been doing. Um, and this is kind of representing where we're at at this point in the project. And uh, I'm going to go into different areas in more detail. So I'm not going to try to talk to each thing on the plan here, but you can see a lot of the elements probably that, that were in the, the wilds concept are, are showing up here. And um, what we also do in, in addition to kind of bringing elements from each different option, we're trying to make sure the, the spaces are more, uh, more realistically sized and right sized for kind of the, the scale of people and the scale of the playground features and the scale of you know, the path widths and things like that are much more um, accurately represented as we get into this uh, iteration of the plan. And so, you, you got some? 
Uh, I don't know. Keep going. <laughs> I'll save it. All right. Um, all right. So one of the big kind of leading core principles you can see here on the left, I was kind of alluding to this earlier. You got the, the big grassy open existing site and we felt, you know, we're, we're really inspired to bring back some natural elements and understory planting and pollinator plants and, and um, sort of the stormwater element. These were all big uh, sort of inspirations for us as we started to develop the design. Can you go back a slide? Yeah. It worked, it worked better with you doing that. That's great. I think one of the big things when we look at the overall plan that's going to come back up here in a minute is um, just sort of some big moves. And you saw it on the kind of that park functionality drawing. But in essence, A, <clears throat> the rewilding is like saying, you know what, the whole north half-ish wants to be wild. If you look to the east from this site, you can, you know, we know that, that this is up on a shelf and then it drops down to Evans Creek and the wetlands there and it goes up to this beautiful wooded hill. And I keep, I keep saying, I don't know if that's Novelty Hill. Does anyone know is that's still Novelty Hill that far south? Okay, so Novelty Hill. And then we know that to the, to the west is Marymore Park. Union Hill. I, just, I don't know, anyways, cool. Union Hill, so I totally was wrong. But anyways, there's that, there's that kind of cool wooded ridge line, Evans Creek, and it's sort of, then there's some, the more, you know, this is a quirky neighborhood because it has both neighborhoods, single-family residences, apartments, and then to the north of our site is really unique because it has a lot of light industrial and industrial uses. Um, and right now it's this blank slate of lawn, so we love thinking of this as this really important um, sort of lily pad of ecology between Union Hill, some would say Novelty Hill, I don't know why, uh, Union Hill and Lake Sammamish. And so just kind of bringing some of that more northwest ecology in um, we think is really important. But the other big thing that's happening here is um, right now this site, well, it drops from, from west to east like eight feet. That's a great asset for us to use to move drainage east from, from west to east. It's pretty flat south to north, slight, slight slope. If you ever walk out there in the winter, super boggy. So I think a big part of the overall scheme is the idea that we're going to embrace that south edge, the big trees that are there, the sidewalk. It gives us like instant park character. It's part of the circulation. But then excavate down, which helps create a little bit of a buffer there, and, and berm at the field. But take that fill and put it on the north side. Those are kind of the two big moves we're making, is that if you look at it right now, it's a seemingly very flat site. But we're actually creating a lot of topography out of this. So we're creating a new uplands, and that upland is what's occupied by the rewilding. Okay, uh, so I'm going to kind of zoom in on a few areas here just to talk in more detail. So first area that we are showing here is the Sunset Hill and Perch. And so, uh, like I said earlier, this was an idea that came out of some comments from the uh, first public meeting, and we were so excited about it and, and ran with it. And so the idea is just to get a big uh, hillside into the, the park that people can kind of use as a gathering space, as a space to watch the sunset, as a space to uh, do some 
sledding if it snows someday and have an accessible pathway to the top. And so it has the, you can see the accessible path kind of winding around here, getting you to the top. And then once you get up there, there is a sort of a nice, generous uh, paved gathering space that people can hang out at. And one of the, one of the comments that came up in some of the meetings was that uh, people were concerned that, you know, it might be just big enough for like one group of people or a couple people to kind of monopolize. So we, we really uh, made an effort to make that space feel generous. And I think it's like 30 feet wide, that paved area at the top. And, and so it's a good sized um, spot that, you know, a few different groups of people could occupy and hang out comfortably. And I think a quick thing here is like, we love that term perch. People love height. And again, we like we thought particularly like sort of for that target teen group is like being up. People love elevation. And then even whatever we put on there, there's some images off to the side. We don't want to put swings up there. I think it'd be super cool. It'd probably break every sort of playground code on the planet. Um, it'd be really fun to launch yourself off of, and therefore we didn't want that to happen. But the idea that you're actually, when you're up there, whether it's hammocks or these little round things, they're not swinging, they're fixed. But even then, you're perched, and you know we can have them at three different elevations, maybe some you have to climb into, some are down at a nice level so that if you're in a, a wheelchair or something, you can kind of transfer onto them and still get that same experience. But there's this idea of of being perched and having a little bit of movement without it being a swing. So even the, instead of, you can imagine how different that is if it was like, I'm gonna to go to the top of hill and sit on a hard wood bench. Just kind of taking that idea of perch a little further. All right, and so here you can see we wanted to study, you know, what we could actually achieve with um, the grades and, uh, you know, maintaining ADA accessibility to the top and working within the site context. So this is a two-scale uh, cross-section uh, cutting through the, the hillside and, and through the edge of the park there. And sorry, if I, I forgot to point out, so the hill itself was... 22 feet above kind of the lower portion of the of the park there. So it's a good, you know, it's a good size. It's not a huge mountain by any means, but it, it is a, a nice feeling, uh, good, generous hillside. Um, so next area to focus in on here is the, the central playground and gathering space. Uh, one of the concepts that we were trying to really embrace here was the the main hangout area with the covered canopy is really integrated um, seamlessly with the playground space. And so it feels like one large gathering area. People can kind of move around and circulate through that. Uh, we got some really fun, exciting uh, playground stuff. We've got zip lines, some swings. We've got uh, play equipment areas for, you know, smaller kids, two to five, plus another one for the uh, five through 12 kind of age group. And also this really fun uh, slide area that's built into kind of the edge of the, the sunset hill to take advantage of some of the top topography that we're getting out of that. And you can access that from, from our ADA accessible path or some stairs or just climbing up as you can kind of see on the the image in the bottom right here, kind of just scrambling up the edge of the hill. And the other uh, element that we wanted to highlight here is the, you can see where the number one is on the plan. There's, uh, we're proposing a very 
sort of uh, open and, and higher feeling canopy in this park. So uh, it's one of the, the ideas being that, you know, a lot of times you'll see these uh, canopies or shelters that are, are lower and, and feel kind of smaller. And it's more like you can kind of occupy that as like one family is in there and you can't, you know, the other people can't feel like they can't also be part of that or be under there. So we wanted it to be re really open, um, a little bit more generous sized, um, some, even some like more informal seating elements that you can kind of see in that, that those guitar pick shaped image, uh, seating benches, so it's it's really a playful kind of fun place that that's part of the playground area, and and uh, can, a lot of people can enjoy at the same time. Next area here is the flexible play and teen hang, and so yeah, the goal here is just to provide some open uh, paved areas that can be used very. Uh, informally and, and in different ways. People can do rollerblading. You could have a skateboard. You could uh, be playing basketball. It's not intended to be a, a formal basketball court, more just like somewhere with some, some hoops that people can, can play around at. Um, you've also got a smaller space that's uh, envisioned as a pickleball court. Um, one of the ideas that, that we incorporated was that each of these different spaces, um, you've got the uh, playground itself, which is off to the left here, kind of cut off, but then the um, basketball area and the pickleball court area are kind of interspersed in between with very intentional planting buffers. So you have kind of these individual spaces that, that can be used and, and occupied and, and feel sort of framed around by the vegetation there. Um, the you can see the image in the bottom middle there with some step seating that is adjacent to the main kind of paved basketball slash play area, so kids hanging out there, um, just uh, space that can be used in a lot of different ways. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just I was just going to add um, one of the things that we heard through the public is there is always um, questions of. I don't even think concerns is the right word, but questions regarding noise and courts. And so one of the things we've done here is um, is with that topography we've talked about, plus the vegetation is are sort of nestled in to deaden as much of the noise as possible from the pickleball court or a bouncing basketball. Um, and anyways, that, and, and I should point out that sort of the speckled walk, why don't you show them where the promenade kind of meanders by here. Like you can see that there with the, where he's running his mouse, but that's our promenade. And it's just a nice passage of spaces as you move through there, we think. All right, so yeah, and then this is just a, a sketch showing kind of the the sort of whole picture put together with the Sunset Hill and the playground elements um, incorporated on the on the hillside there. Some slides and the and play features. You got the 
basketball slash wheels hangout space in the foreground there, the pickleball court on the right side. And yeah, we're just, we we're just really excited about kind of how all these elements are coming together and we feel like it's gonna be just a, an amazing space for the community. Uh, one other area of the park that we wanted to show as well and not forget is the more uh, western portion of the park. Uh, this is uh, where we've located kind of the generous lawn area that you can see here. It's about 225 feet long, but it's fairly, you know, it's more narrow. And so it's, it's flexible space that can be used for informal games, but it's not intended to be like a, a formalized soccer field or anything like that. And then you will notice where we have the number five here, we did put a little uh, bermed um, buffer to the street to kind of keep balls into the play area or into the grass area and just kind of as a informal buffer, if you will, to uh, frame that edge. And then the other big thing that you're seeing here over on the west edge on the north is uh, number three. We were able to fit a sort of small, modest uh, community garden space into this portion of the park as well. You know, one thing I want to, well, you can keep it where it's at. That's fine. But um, one of the things that, again, that grading that we talked about kind of hunkering the courts down in, and the same thing applies to this lawn here, is we deliberately wanted to do this without any fences that were required to sort of break up the park to contain things. So we're using grading to do that instead. All right, and so, yeah, this last uh, graphic is then just kind of, you know, taking a look back out the edges of the park, thinking about, how we sort of uh, referencing that previous diagram, we wanna make sure that we're connecting to the community around it. So these are just some opportunities that we wanted to make sure we highlight for improving crosswalks where there are some existing already, but there's also a number that aren't existing and, and should probably be added to make sure there's safe crossings around the park itself. Uh, we're also noting that you could potentially have some connections to uh, the development once that uh, becomes developed to the north, the property. Uh, there could be connections to the parking lot or the, um, yeah, the, the space on the, on the north there, I think, makes sense. And also connecting to the south where there's an existing uh, small kind of playground within the, the community there off the, off the page to the south. And with that, I will bring up the main uh, overall plan again and we can have some discussion. I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> And uh, there's two things that I wanted to touch on really quickly. Um, the first is that we will be having a community meeting sharing this uh, same information at uh, RCCMV, uh, sorry, the Redmond Community Center at Marymore Village uh, on January 31st at 530, and that'll have a hybrid option. Uh, council members are invited to attend if you would like to join us for that. Um, and I just also wanna to touch on that this is a really great example of how we are using the recently adopted park plan um, and all of that feedback that we got from the community over the past two years 
um, in how we are going to incorporate uh, that into our future parks and having, uh, you know, high needed amenities or, or things that people really wanted to see, like the community gardens, and also feedback that we got from uh, this council about having integrated play and play for all ages and um, an opportunity for um, folks to really get out and engage in the play spaces at our parks. So we're really thrilled with uh, the work that Burger has done incorporating all of that. Well, thank you so much, um, and thank you for the, the great presentation and great work. This is really exciting. Um, so looking forward to this discussion. Council members, um, comments, questions? Council Member Anderson. I'll second that, a wonderful presentation, and I loved hearing the stories about the park. And you got to my final question, or my question at the final slide, which was about the connections to future development. So thank you for that. Um, curious if this is maybe a question for Lorene, um, I should say, Director Hamilton. Uh, the, uh, will the cost of the future connections be incorporated into this? Because if we're investing a good amount of money into the development of a new park, um, my um, projection brain thinks about what future money will we need to be also investing to make some of these connections going forward with these other developments in the area? Yeah, that's a really great question that um, I don't think we have an answer for quite yet. Um, after we have the master plan adopted, we'll be able to start to look a little bit more at what it might actually cost. We're not quite there yet, but it, we do have every intention of um, doing as much of that work as we can within that, but then we can always partner with our good friends in public works and, um, and transportation to make sure that we're able to uh, do the best that we can for this community because um, that was one of the things that came up early on in this project and was actually one of the reasons that we hired Berger was because they were one of the only consultants in their interview to discuss accessing this park, accessing this park um, in such a busy area uh, and how it can lack safety because of that. So the short answer is we're not there yet and that would be the hope if resources allowed. Thank you. And then uh, can you clarify just the timing of what the next door neighbors and the development of this potential park might look like? Construction that at the is same time? Or? The Redmond Flex, I believe it has come forward to council, um, but yes, we can I find out their this. timeline and yeah. get back to you on that. Do you know if this development will be taking place prior to the park being developed? It depends if this park is budgeted and part of the CIB. <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're talking to the right people about that. Uh, so thank you. Our intention is um, for this park to be the next park that we develop within our park plan. So there's a lot of different capital needs and capital projects that are coming down the pike. Some of those are facilities, but in the parks, very formal parks realm, this is the next kind of major priority for us is to build out this master planned park. So the goal would hopefully be within the next, you know, two to four year CIP that we would be able to look towards development of this park. And then the next door neighbors are happening when? I don't know the answer to that. Carol, do you? When is Red Redmond Flex? Flex? Yeah, planning. Sorry. Thank you. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> that one has been through your council process. You right. had the quasi-judicial hearing, and it's through uh, basically they're uh, proceeding through building permit, but um, environmental uh, the 
financing conditions aren't very good right now. So I think that they were also trying to get all of their permits wrapped up and that in the immediate future, they don't have, um, they don't have plans to move forward quickly, but okay. they are being diligent. Are we like 2025, 2026? Just looking for Yes. You. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Appreciate it. Council Member Salahuddin. Uh, I have a couple of questions, but first of all, I just want to say thank you so much. This is this is incredible, and I wish I had a park like this growing up. Uh, Redmond has some incredible <laughs> parks, but this really encompasses everything, and I, I appreciate the level of extent you did uh, with the community meetings and seeing you know, all of those languages and um, different cultures uh, represented and reflecting that into this. Um, I'm thinking about my own background and people... Um, you know, from my background would go to a park like this. So it's, it's just great to see. Uh, one question that I had was around the parking. And I know that, uh, I, I mean, so many developments, so many houses uh, near this area, near this park, um, which would provide an easy walking access and hopefully a lot of the neighbors there use it. I'm also anticipating that a lot of folks would come to this park from elsewhere. Is there consideration that uh, the neighborhoods... Um, might be inundated with a lot of cars and any solutions to that? This is one of the consistent conversations that we have around the difference between our neighborhood parks and our community parks. And so for us, neighborhood, neighborhood parks do not usually include additional parking because they really are intended to serve the immediate area. That being said, there is a decent amount of on-street parking on that street there. Um, but it, it, it has been a part of our conversation as we've looked at this master plan. It has been a concern of the community. Um, but at this time, we are not planning to add additional parking. And in part, it's because the more parking we put on site, the less the less park we get. Um, and so it is a constant struggle, especially when you look to build such a really cool neighborhood park. And it's actually a struggle that we've seen up at Westside Park. So that's our other most recently developed um, redeveloped neighborhood park and it's very cool and it's been in a lot of actually like parenting magazines and like parent map has featured it a few times and that neighborhood has seen a pretty significant inundation but we actually um after it kind of grand opened and then the really intense like excitement around it died down we've had far less complaints from the neighborhood around parking so i think it, it may peak and then I think it'll fall a little bit as people fall into a rhythm of not driving across Redmond to go to one one single park. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And then um, just the other really quick, uh, not really a question, but just a consideration is, uh, you know, the community garden uh, is, is a great um, idea to put into this uh, park. And uh, I've spoken with the Indian American Community Services and some um, you know, members of that organization who a lot of them don't speak English. And so if there is any consideration of putting language translations, allowing for that um, just specifically in the community garden, but maybe throughout the park as well, I think that would be really nice. Councilmember Nuevo Camino. Uh, first, I want to go to this park. I want to go hang out at this park, um, raising um, throughout the years four children uh, and knowing that they would definitely have loved it as small children as well as through adolescence. I still have one teenager left at home, and I know that he talks about wanting more spaces for him and his friends in Redmond to go hang out at, and I know that he would absolutely love this park. Um, I... I 
have it on my goal to learn how to play pickleball this year because apparently that's what we do in Redmond. Um, and I'm also well aware that the longer the time that I spend at this park, the more I'm going to need to use the restroom. And I don't see one here. And I know that how important that is to families with young children, as well as a myriad of families of varying abilities and being able to, to have that accessibility. And I don't see one here, so I did not want to make it an assumption and ask, is that in, a, in the plan? I'll take a crack at it, but then you can add in. Because it does, it start, it did, that too is sort of similar to parking, which is, well, what is a neighborhood park? Um, because traditionally neighborhood parks don't have restrooms, but you're also right. There is also a reality. Um, and so just, so in this instance, A, um, if you were to look, one of our numbers, is it number, I can't see it, 10, 19, 19 I can't read. Oh, it's too small and my eyes are terrible. But um, we've, we've actually identified, and this sounds like not super sexy and exciting, is a spot for potential honey bucket. But the reason why we did that is we wanted to be think, we thought really legitimately about what, how would this work operationally so that it could be easily maintenance, easily managed, fully visible. And what we would recommend is that we actually do an enclosure for it, which actually makes it more secure. So A, it's less attractive. It doesn't stand out in the beautiful natural colors that they are usually um, plasticed in, but also that it can't be tipped over and be such an attractive nuisance. So A, we've accounted for that, you know, and B, long term, this is actually a pretty well utilityed site. We have water to it. We have clearly there's their sanitary sewer. And so one of the things that our civil engineer is going to do is sort of identify if you were to ever do a master or a, a restroom, this is where you do it. But again, that's beyond where you typically would do that. And I'll defer to you to sort of talk about citywide thinking. Yeah, that's, you touched on it. It's um, very similar to parking. Our neighborhood parks just, we, they don't usually have restrooms. And in part, it's because um, our system and our staffing in part cannot manage restrooms at all of our parks. They have to be maintained. They have to be cleaned. They have to be, and we also deal with a fair amount of graffiti in a lot of our restrooms. And so the more restrooms that we have, the more resources it pulls. But the other piece of it is, is that comes down to a classification of park that this one is not. It's a, it's a, considered a neighborhood park. Um, it, and it is always a source of differing opinions on if we should or should not. So we definitely are looking at you know, having some considerations in were there ever to be um, the need to put a restroom in here. Um, but we have, uh, I cannot think of many neighborhood parks that we have restrooms in for those reasons. And, and completely appreciate yeah. that. And it was actually seeing a pickleball court there and yeah. understanding the length of time that it would take to and understanding how much time am I going to be spending there? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it's part of our hope, actually, um, and this is within the park plan, is to put amenities throughout our system so that people aren't traveling really far to go to those amenities, right? So the hope would actually be that we have pickleball throughout our system in a way that you're not having to go across town and be there for three hours to play pickleball, but there's one relatively easily accessible to your home or your place of work. So that is one of our goals and visions as well, is to create these spaces so frequently throughout the city that you're not having to traverse really far. And then there are pickleball courts at our major, at some of our major parks, like Perigo, for example, which does have restrooms, or the Redmond Senior and Community Center mm -hmm. also has restrooms. So yeah, I hope that helps.
Councilmember Fields. Um, first, glad to hear our parks director acknowledge the impact of one park impacts all the other parks. And like if we put a parking and bathroom facilities here, then everybody else is going to demand the same thing. So um, that's not my question. My question, and, and I went along really well with this presentation, uh, but there was something nagging at me, like something missing. And then got to this final slide, and I saw again draft preferred plan, and then um, someone mentioned that we're going to uh, give this to uh, the neighborhood on January 30 something. And then I realized what's missing for me. Whose preferred plan is this? I think it, I would hope more than anything, it is the community's preferred plan. Um, but how would you know that? Uh, how, how, how can you tell us that you know that? Um, I would go back to those slides. A, the, the fact that like literally the signature feature was an idea from the public, the, the Sunset Hill, and that then that proved to be the most popular feature when we took our alternatives out to them. Um, you know, I think we did an ex a great job sort of sourcing and getting input digitally, but also in the meetings, and then even through the public process with the Parks and Rec Board. So I think we've had a lot of voices, and, and I think they've had the chance to, to have very deliberate, concrete reactions to the three preferred plans and literally rate their favorite things. And then the trick of that is what we have to do is to take the most preferred things and make sure they all play nice together. We don't want to just have a Franken park. We want to have an amazing park, but that it has all the things and the qualities that people rated most important to them. But I think the key part is because we were able to have three alternatives, and I'll point out that, again, those alternatives were already shaped by the public from our amazing meeting at the site with ice cream, I might add. Um, the fact that we were able to do that, and like I say, I'm like, I've never had a project that, again, usually public involvement sort of, um, it helps us polish a park. It, you know, usually public involvement isn't making big decisions about is there or is there not an off-leash area because that's sort of done at the system-wide scale. But really what public involvement does is help make a soulful place that's a reflection of the community. And that's like one of the things I'm nutty proud of of this, where this, this most central feature literally came from the ground up from the public. And then when they had a chance to react to it, it was the number one thing that they latched onto and loved. And the fact that slides could be used on the hill and people could sled on the hill. Um, so I think that's I think that's why we got really concrete feedback to the to all the options that gave us this preferred plan, and then we'll go back and validate it from the community. And while the intent isn't to redesign further after that, this is just a master plan with so much more design left to be done. So even the input we get from this will continue to be part of the master plan to help shape the real plan when there is a real project and a funded phase one to kind of keep shaping it. And if I might add a little bit as well, even further than that, the 
um, the park plan that we just that we just adopted also identifies a lot of these key features to be um, needed within our system. Um, additional playgrounds, additional community gardens, space for teens. Uh, we continue to get constant requests for more racket sport courts. Um, and so I, and, and with this area being so densely populated um, and a lot of the um, homes and residences not having a lot of green space, I would say that we've also been able to incorporate all of the work from the park plan. And that really does continue to guide every piece of work that we do because it had such significant community engagement. And so um, Guy and his team were able to take that work then build on top of it with the community to be even more focused. And then like Guy said, we will do additional design work. A master plan is a guiding document. It is not the design. We may get into it and there may be different conversations that are had and things may shift. Um, this is really just saying these are the elements that were most desired to be at this park and the intention that we would have with this space. So I hope that that also maybe helps. Thank you. Council Vice President Forsyth. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited about this preferred plan. The wilds was the one that resonated the most with what I've heard from community. And I'm really excited that the community garden aspect was included in the revision. Um, I think it just hits on all the areas that we've all been talking about. I'm interested to hear a bit more about the the um, ADA aspect of play for the hill slides. I know the Seattle play garden has soft landscaping so that those slides can be open and more accessible for um, all types of play. And then also interested in hearing about the uh, the high canopy and what that means for, you know, when we get the big directional rainstorms and even just the misty storms, if those areas are still going to be um, covered enough for, for folks. I'll, I'll take an initial crack. Feel free to jump in here. You know, I think in terms of the playability, um, the biggest thing we've done here is that we actually have topography in the hill, you know, on a flatter site um, with, with a playground that's trying to be this great universal experience. Um, you're, you're falling to just relying on the equipment to provide the play value. Um, and it's become, it tends to become about different platforms and things like that. Or then there's this, there's this intent to accommodate ramps. And what I think is fun here is infusing the play into the hillside and using that to create part of the play value is really important. I also think that so much of that really is the detail that will follow kind of the next phase of development because there's so much nuance you know, I think when we talk about a universally um, welcoming playground, our brains first go to mobility issues. Um, and that's actually a pretty modest amount of the population, people who have those mobility challenges. Another huge part and, and far more influential is thinking about people who are neuroatypical. Um, and having spinning things and movement that are really amazing for neurotypical people. But those are sort of a lot of details that we're just not in at the master plan. At the master plan level, there's really this acknowledgement that that's a priority to do that. And that we think the framework of the Sunset Hill providing 
topography as part of the play value is a tool to get us there, but those are really details that we would spend a lot more time figuring out as we go forward. I mean, at this point, we really don't know exactly what the playground equipment is or things like that. I hope, does that address your question? What I might yeah, add to true. that, if it's all right, is that that is, again, one of those items that is a high priority in the park plan as well. So that would go into our design to make sure that we'll, we're fulfilling those tenants within the park plan. And one of those high priorities was to incre increase um, ADA and inclusive playgrounds throughout our system, whether that's when we replace them or when we build new ones. And so that is um, will help inform those design decisions when they come down the pike. Yep. And I would say it's the same as the canopies that you were asking about, like how mm -hmm. how, how much yep. rain can get through them. Uh, that would, I anticipate we'll talk about that for at least an hour when we design the playground about <laughs> what that canopy is and what it is not. Um, and so we will um, definitely keep that in mind because um, it's good feedback because it's very rainy out there right now. <laughs> um, two more, just real quick. Um, I would tend to agree with the restroom conversation. I know we've um, talked about this a lot, and I've heard a lot from community, especially with, especially in the, uh, I think it's, is it Meadowview, Meadow, the park up there with the pickleball. I've heard a lot about wanting restrooms, even honey buckets up there. So um, I appreciate the, the foresight into the potential for a honey bucket um, being included somewhere in this park. I'm interested when we're going to get to talk about the gateway icon part of the conversation and if that's further in the design process. Yes, that'll be that'll happen within the design process because the de the determination will have to be made is this a commissioned artwork so does it go through the yeah. arts and culture commission or is it a simply a part of the design of the park? Um, it's definitely been something that we've talked about and Guy has some really fun ideas as well, mm -hmm. uh, but we're not talking about it tonight because that does kind of get a little more into the design conversation as opposed to the guiding master plan. But definitely the idea that there would be um, pieces of art or items within the park that would really be centering for people in that place mm -hmm. uh, because we do also have just park signage standards, right? There will be a park monument sign within this park and it will be, you know, in line with that. Um, and so that discussion will happen more in design. Great. But Thank something you. I want to add on that, like just let's like, let's keep in mind the intent of that, which is no matter what it actually ultimately is, the dream is um, when we think of Southeast Redmond, what pops into your mind? And if you're a resident, what is your favorite thing? If you had a little Southeast Redmond sticker on your laptop right now, what would be the crazy cool little object that means Southeast Redmond? And it struck us and, and our public conversation seemed to bear out there wasn't an answer to that. And so our dream for whatever that thing becomes, no, I'm gonna drop the thing actually, even that is too prescriptive. But that the idea that there's something in this park that can become that identity. That something may be, may be one thing, it could be 10 things, uh, it, could become, it could become the top of Sunset Hill. Um, but that is, at its loftiest, the goal is to help create um, a strengthened identity for this neighborhood, the, a civic identity for this neighborhood. 
Very cool. I was going to say the same thing just in, in thinking about it uh, in terms of that Sunset Hill, I think it could become very iconic for this neighborhood and, and for Redmond just as a really cool space. So, and especially coming out of really those community ideas, bringing that in is, is a wonderful story. Um, before we go for round two, I'll just give my comments on this, this topic uh, that a couple council members have raised. I think just as we progress on this, overall, I love what's in here. Um, in particular, I think having a zip line is something I hear a lot from families uh, wanting to see more of that in our parks. Um, uh, also seeing, uh, you know, the playground itself, the way that it's built is really, uh, looks like it's going to be different with building into the hillside and those pieces. I think there's going to be a lot of folks that are going to want to access this, um, as well as things like the community garden and Sunset Hill and, and some of these other pieces. And so I do think we need to think about, um, to my colleagues' points, just in general, this is going to be a um, community park, but it's gonna have some things that other parks don't have. And I think it'll actually be such a jewel in our park system, that's what we want. But we have to kind of think about how do we make sure that a community park can feel accessible to everyone, both within the community and, and beyond uh, in the rest of, of Redmond. Because um, I have seen sometimes with community parks that it can feel a little like, am I allowed to be here if I'm not in the neighborhood, you know, or it's a neighborhood park, sorry, not, not community park, a neighborhood park. Um, so, so I guess it's just something for us to think about in the long run, what kinds of things we put to make sure that it is accessible. If, if we're going to put in so many things that will attract people from all over Redmond, in addition to legitimately giving this neighborhood a park that it has, has lacked, um, so and giving them amenities, because that is really the goal of this is to also be a little more equitable because other neighborhoods do have a lot of amenities and a lot of parks, and that's the point of developing this one here. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I would just say we, we should keep that in mind as we move forward, and I'll be interested as we get into design and, and development on that. Um, Council Member Stewart. Yeah, I don't believe I had a first round. So a couple more questions, sorry. Lighting, we asked about restrooms, we asked about some water stuff. How about lighting? Do we know at this point whether or not that might be something that would be included in the park? Cool. We, we talked about this um, uh, actually at the Parks and Rec Commission meeting the other day. And so, you know, for starters here, there are street lights around this park. So there's an ambient light level. In theory, Parks are closed from dusk until dawn. Well, I will point out, like dusk happened like three hours ago. Um, so, but there, so there's sort of well, five. Okay, actually, maybe it might have been eight. It feels like I don't think the sun came up today. Um, but I think I, so. I think that there is um, an acknowledgement that a there's an ambient light level around the park, and that's great. And I think the answer, and, and I invite you to, to correct me or add detail, but is, you know, typically you, you don't probably light park elements for sure. You know, we don't necessarily want to be lighting. Actually, I'm going to back off that. But we don't typically light park elements. But I, I would ask the question, is there a way to reconcile the idea that a park is closed from dusk until dawn but the idea of having some pedestrian lighting that maybe lights the promenade portion through here so there is more ambient light level. And this, this, like, 
what I'm about to say is my opinion, but how does that reconcile with policy and these things is we have these parks and we do want people to use them through the winter and we do want people to recreate when they get home from home. We do want kids to be able to go out and play with their friends or with their parents. So some level of baseline sort of circulation lighting, it seems to us is a fair thing to consider. But what you probably want to stay away from because it risks becoming um, overly active and burdening the neighborhood is, oh, we're going to light the basketball court because now it's a very different, a different thing with that. So rambling answer, it feels like there's room for lighting to let people be using this space without overusing program elements. Discuss. Oh, wait, there you go. Lorraine, you can save me now. I got you, Guy. Um, I think that it is a conversation that will continue to be had through design. I don't think we have a clear answer. Um, it's. I think, like Guy said, it's easy to say our parks are closed from, you know, dawn and, you know, dusk until dawn. Or, um, and we have downtown park, which... How are like that's not really enforceable, right? I mean, people are walking through that park and walking their dogs before the sun is up, and um, and it is lit. It is also an urban park, which is a different type of park than a neighborhood park. Uh, but there are safety concerns with dark, and there are safety concerns with light. Um, and so it really is going to have to be a very intentional conversation that we have through the design process, um, and like Guy said, being really mindful that we, if we choose to light, that we are doing it in a way that is enhancing safety and not necessarily inviting use of some of those elements past hours. Because um, at our parks that do have that type of lighting, they're on timers, they're pretty significant um, lighting systems. They are not simply lights that stay on all night. So our lights at Perigo, for example, are on timers. And when they are, those fields are not rented, those lights turn off at night. Um, and so it's, it's a harder question to answer, but it is something that the community has brought up. Uh, and so it's something we'll look at more and more into design. Wonderful. Thank you. And um, uh, to that point, uh, Ms. Chapman, the council will actually be in Olympia on the evening of January 31st, so we will not join you, probably, but um, we really look forward to, you know, I, I look forward to hearing more about what the community has to say. Um, and thanks, that's really awesome. My colleagues covered all the gratitude, and I, I um, echo that night, even in the photos uh, that are shared in this presentation, of that kind of golden hour, and then to see in the, the packet materials not only every single element from the little kid who was desperate for the zip line to the parent who was desperate for a place for her teen to hang, for it to all have made it to the page, and then this golden hour with this sunset hill, um, it took my breath away. So I'm very excited about it. Um, I, I just want to offer actually to my council colleagues um, how inspiring this is, and, and maybe... Um, to borrow a word from my colleague, what if this wasn't a, a jewel? What if it didn't have to be? Um, this planning process that we are going through right now has rewilded a three-acre space, and that's replicable, and it's making dynamic topography where it doesn't currently exist. That's replicable. Moving dirt around is replicable, and we have been talking about other neighborhoods that have been um, in need of, of parks in the future and who are, are not necessarily included fully in the upcoming, in the park plan that we've just adopted for the future. So um, those are really inspiring and those are some of the things that I'm going to be carrying forward with me. Thanks. 
Thank you, Councilmember Stewart. I'm going to pretend like I intended to skip you in the first round so that you could end us on that really great insight. <laughs> um, <laughs> do, are there any other questions from the council or comments? Councilmember Fields. So I heard your response um, to my question, uh, follow up. Um, I won't be able to be here January 31st because I'll be in out of town. But I would love some um, some sort of empirical data. I don't know how you would gather it to to show me that in fact the neighborhood in general th this is their preferred plan. I I get what you said. I understand the process. I think it was a great process. Not being critical, but I, I'm not convinced. Um, as someone pointed out, this neighborhood has been desperate for a park for a long time. I've campaigned over there a couple of times. I have friends there. This always came up as an issue. And there was a vigilante group that wanted to develop their own park at one point. They wanted to get the blessings of the city of Redmond to create a laser tag and all kinds of things. So there's been um, a certain amount of hunger for a park. Uh, I took my daughter when she was on prednisone to a food mall once um, and I said you want Mexican food she said yeah I said well what about burgers yeah well what about Italian food yeah she wanted all of it because she was on prednisone these people are are going to say yes they want all of these things because they're great ideas but I want to be convinced uh, that this community is in fact making a choice uh, deliberately and that this is what they want and I think we have like an exceptional like background packages from all our meetings that actually has a remarkable amount of empirical data so we'll, we'll be happy to get make sure you get that great Thank you so much. Yeah, look forward to that follow-up. Um, so in terms of next steps on this item, can you just give us a sense of, of when we'll next see this? Yes, uh, so after our community meeting where we are going to be getting feedback similar uh, to what you had uh, this evening, uh, Berger will be taking the feedback from you, the Parks and Trails Commission, and that community meeting to uh, polish up this draft preferred plan and make it a part of a larger uh, master plan document that will have the survey results and other empirical data as well as these designs and uh, precedent images that they had put forward. Um, and we hope to have that to council in March. Is that, yeah. <laughs> I believe we're on the schedule for March. Um, and then uh, from there, we are already working on our uh, business case to add this to the uh, CIP and create um, a, a budget proposal for it. And we'll be looking um, towards grants for this particular park. Great. Well, I know for my part, I'll be chomping at the bit to add that into the, the CIP. So looking forward to that budget discussion. Um, well, thank you all for this great discussion. And I think with that, we can close out this item. Thank you very much uh, to our, um, our team here that, that has done the, the work and the, the design. Thank you very much for, for your presentation. With that... Well, thank you. Um, so the last item on the agenda is council talk time. 
Um, I will run through a few items and then um, and then we'll open it up for discussion. Um, the first thing I just wanted to start with, since we have two new council members, and, and welcome uh, to your first study session. Very excited to have you here and, and just to have all of our council here working together. Um, uh, just in terms of logistics of talk time, this is a, a piece that, that we have every study session, so that means basically every other week for council. And it's an opportunity for any council member to be able to raise questions, have conversation. As uh, we sometimes discuss, we are bound by the Open Public Meetings Act, which means that some there's a lot of things that, that we can't discuss um, except in open session. And, and sometimes there's just informal things we want to be able to talk about, share. I think, um, and it's also a place where as uh, council leadership will give you some updates on conversations we've been having behind the scenes that don't quite fit into a, a more formal agenda and ask some questions as we're doing some planning going into the future. Um, one thing which is on the agenda here, but that I, I related to this that I am hoping is that potentially as part of our council retreat this year, we can also discuss how we wanna use council talk time. If there's any improvements we wanna to have to it, any new structures um, and one of the things that that we do as part of council talk time if you're going to bring up a significant idea like a new proposal that you want council to work on um, is that we have we did establish last year a hopper process where you can actually write down the details of that idea um, and have it submitted so it can be attached to the council talk time item um, so that way council members can kind of review your idea before you present it during the hopper uh, dur during the council talk time. Um, so anyway, I can talk with, with both of the new council members about that, but I just wanted to raise that and, and to say that part of, I think, in the retreat, it would be great to revisit how that hopper process is working. It was a new innovation we came up with. So um, I think there's, there's more to do in terms of the process, but I just wanted to kind of throw that out there and for all council members to note that I think, um, I hope that in, in the time to come that this can really be a good space for us to have conversation. Oftentimes it's nights like this where we've had two robust or three robust conversations so we're a little bit tired, um, but it is kind of the space that we create um, to be able to have share information with each other. Um, so, uh, moving on, I sent out uh, an email to you all on the um, committee presiding officer slate and just wanted to do a temperature check since um, we're hoping to put this on consent to make sure, is everybody good putting um, the slate that I, I put out on consent? I can read it out. Um, so the proposal would be to have council member fields continue as um, chair of the finance administration and communications committee council member stewart um, continue as the planning and public works chair um, council member salahuddin um, chair the public safety and human services committee and council member nueva camina chair the um, the environment uh, parks and environmental sustainability committee um, so that was, and that was based on all the feedback that, that all of you sent in terms of your preferences to chair or not chair and which committees you were hoping to chair. Um, so I uh, just wanted to take a moment to see uh, maybe sense of thumbs if people are good on putting this onto consent for a future meeting. Good. Okay, I'm not seeing any objections, so uh, we will um, put that on to consent. And, um, and thank you all for, for your leadership and to uh, all who chaired over the last two years as well. Really appreciate that leadership. Um, 
third item on the agenda, uh, council retreat planning. So I know a couple of you have asked me about um, when the retreat is happening. We had a date on the calendar and it got canceled. And so um, just wanted to note, uh, we sent out a survey. Um, what we've been thinking about doing, in the past we worked with Anita Page um, and uh, to be able to do a two-day retreat and what a, um, Council Vice President Forsyth and I were thinking about in this case, especially with some new council members and I think some issues to work on, um, part of uh, what we've worked on with Anita Page for those who weren't there was especially around our um, READY AR, which is um, Respect, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, and Anti-Racism uh, work for our city and really kind of coalescing around that. The hope on that right now is that the next step will be a joint um, retreat type of meeting where we can be also with the directors and the mayor to be able to coalesce on kind of some of our final city vision and next steps on that plan. I think we also want to have time as a council to be able to have a retreat, talk about how we work together, um, just some of the, the basics also about just like council processes, as well as um, have some discussions around it being a budget year, what people's priorities are. So what we're thinking is to actually, instead of having a two-day retreat that'll be both of those pieces is to have one that would happen in the next month and a half or so that would be a one-day retreat where um, we would have facilitated discussions just around council processes, connect with each other, and also talk about um, budget priorities. And then um, in later February, early March, be able to have that convening with the directors since they're actually still finishing a bit of their side of the work um, with Anita, um, and we would all convene together um, to be able to have um, that, that joint discussion around the Ready AR work and, and do a, um, a retreat at that time. Um, so given that, um, just wanted to see if that is of interest to the rest of the council to, to divide up into those two, um, two one-day retreats instead of one two-day retreat. Um, and we have sent out first the scheduling for that first um, piece, and then I can follow up in a moment on the second piece. Um, but first, wanted to leave a little space to see if others have thoughts, questions, Seems like a good plan. Council Member Stewart. We're really in favor of transitioning to, to one day at a time, especially if, to not have a, anyway, really love to have one weekend day to go outside and play and one weekend day to do council things. That's great, thanks. Seeing some nods, Council Member Nueva Camina. I co-sign that completely. <laughs> Breaking it up and, and being able to, to still space so that we're rested to, to get through the rest of our week instead of you know, going through and having a long week and then a full weekend and then a twice as long week. Yeah. Great. Thanks for that feedback. Councilmember Fields? What was your question? Do we want it split up or do we agree with the topics or both? It was our, I guess both, yeah, yeah. Do you have any comments on how we structure the retreat, some goals, any of the goals, goals, and then also mostly, are you good with us breaking it into two sections? I'm certainly good with breaking it into two. Um, I, I've been to the retreats over the past couple of years. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how to say this without sounding like a jerk. But, I'm, but I've done that many times before, so no problem. I'm not sure I want to spend the time um, 
to pretend that we figure out a way to work together. I think we just need to work together, and I think everybody needs to understand that they were elected by um, the people in this community, and that we, whatever we, we have to put all of our um, personal issues aside and, and become decision makers. Uh, given that the 2050 plan is really bearing down on us, I would rather at least one of those days. If you want to combine those two topics of uh, DEI and figuring out how to work together into one, I'm okay with that. But I really think that we should spend the day on the 2050 um, plan, make sure that we understand what we're doing, make sure we understand our responsibilities, make sure we understand how to be heard by the mayor and by staff, and how we can bring uh, the voice of the community to um, the decisions that we're going to make in the months and year ahead. So that's my preference. That's great feedback, yeah. And I, I definitely think in that first retreat day, a part of what I was thinking about is really for us to coalesce around what is it we want to do, not necessarily how we want to do it only. But I think the how piece is more getting down to a couple of the nuts and bolts on some things that have come up repeatedly. Like for example, the items from the audience question or um, you know, how, if, how ombuds is working for us, uh, if we could make that work better or those types of things. So I, I think that's the logistical piece. And then I would imagine a big bulk of it will be really the goals of what we want to achieve. So in, in that regard, I would retract a little bit of what I said um, because in the past we didn't have a laundry list necessarily of process improvement. We talked about um, code of conduct and those things. And, I, and I'm not saying those things aren't important, but um, process improvement, uh, a list of what we can do to do our jobs better, I'm all about. I think that would be great. I just don't want to spend a lot of time um, discussing what we all should have learned in kindergarten. Yeah, under, understood. I think we can we can revisit any of our touchy-feely things briefly and then uh, get into kind of the, the process improvements, all those details. What I will say is, that obviously, that's uh, uh, your thoughts. And, and so what we can do before that first retreat is to be able to send out to you all um, a survey to gather, you know, what are the topics that, um, that you're hoping we can cover, the issues that have been recurring that we just need a little more time to be able to talk through um, to make sure that we can structure that agenda most efficiently. Um, and uh, and also make sure that we capture what everyone wants. The other thing that we're hoping to do in advance, um, in the past um, two years, uh, some a new process that we had put in was for the council as part of the retreat to kind of brainstorm our priorities live and then do a ranking afterwards. And we came up with this large ranked list. And I think especially for budget, um, you know, that actually two years ago, I think did work pretty well for us to figure out what were some of our top budget priorities so we could send that to the mayor and directors to make sure they got it into the draft budget they'll deliver to us in the fall. Um, I think we'd like to have some of that discussion again, but in order to make it a little more efficient, what we were gonna do was send out to the council, um, have you all submit your top um, priorities for budget and then we could 
we'll put them into a survey where we can do a pre-ranking. So we go into that retreat seeing kind of the ranked list and then we can have a discussion about it and it, it wouldn't be set in stone because the point of the retreat would be for us to discuss and potentially something gets ranked lower but that council member could speak to it and maybe we end up ranking it higher um, but just to get us into that initial list and to kind of um, find some more efficiency in that process so I just wanted to preview that as well and if anyone has any concerns on that uh, let me know yeah council member Stewart yeah, just a nuance there that I think is important is that as we discussed earlier this evening, we haven't had financials. We've Some of us have previewed and hopefully the new council members received that slideshow. Um, anyway, we have not discussed in open session um, how our budget is performing this biennium yet. And so to be able to go into a conversation about what we are interested in the budget, we, we need to know how we're doing first on the work that we've already agreed to do to deliver services to the city. I feel like that's important to have prior to a future conversation about new budget wish lists. Yeah, thank you. And yes, I do think um, hopefully as we heard from Director Cochran, we will be um, getting that information soon. Um, and, and I think that's a great point well taken. Um, as we enter into the budget process, we can't bud and budget for the next one if we don't know how we've been spending against the last one. So. Um, Great points. Um, so, and then one last thing on dates. It sounds like overall people are okay with us going to this um, two separate um, pieces of retreat. Um, Anita has indicated in terms of doing the Ready AR work um, that she could do either February 24th or 25th or March 23rd or 24th. Um, just, I wanted to do a quick gut check. I don't know if people have their calendars on hand, but otherwise I can just send it out um, and you can send back your, your feedback on which of those dates work for you. Um, but wanted to see, are there any red flags that the people have on any of those dates thinking about it? Um, Councilmember Anderson? Not thinking personally here. I'd love to see uh, the dates available against our budget calendar in terms of when, there's, because the process comes to us in certain pieces. And I'm curious from council leadership and the mayor what you expect to get out of an AR process in March compared to um, what we might be thinking about spending the money on later in the year. That's Food great. for thought. Yeah, great. Let me just write that down. So. Okay. But to answer your direct question, I'm free. Sure. Thanks. <laughs> great. Okay, well, thank you all. Um, and one other note, just in terms of uh, retreat planning and logistics, um, we are working on hiring a new legislative assistant slash volunteer coordinator who will be able to work with the council on these types of things. For now, you're gonna be um, seeing the, the mayor's um, assistant, uh, UniU, uh, helping with, with these types of things. Um, but uh, hopefully within the next um, couple months, we'll be seeing a new person come on. And, and I will say that um, Council Vice President Forsyth and I were able to join in the interview for the final can most recent final candidate uh, for that position um, and give some feedback on that position just from just in order to make sure that hopefully uh, we hire a person who can best um, support the council um, as, we, as we move forward in terms of doing policy analysis um, and uh, assisting in, in our needs as well as in that volunteer coordinator position um, that we envisioned. Um, Councilmember Fields. On that, um, has the 
job description, planned work uh, been changed from what it was? Will it still be a shared position? At one point it was um, half-time council, half-time mayor's office, then it became parks, half-time council, half-time. We all had concerns, or I'm sorry, some of us had concerns about the split um, responsibilities or direction. Are we, do we have a, an update on what that position will look like and who they will report to? Yeah, that um, that position will still be within the mayor's office since they, we still aren't able as council members to have staff report to us. But um, uh, the one of the things we established uh, with council leadership is that we have a regular meeting with that position, with that person um, to be able to check in um, on council needs um, and also check in with um, Lisa Marr, who oversees that position in the in the mayor's office, to make sure that we're communicating if we have any feedback on um, how that position is best in um, supporting the council. Um, it will be still that half and half. I'd say one of the improvements uh, that we added in terms of the uh, description of the position was just making sure that um, we were clear that we're looking for someone not only who can do administrative work, but also can do some you know, policy analysis or research when council members have ideas and things that, that they need since we don't have our own um, staff otherwise, and that can also work with some of the staff internally, um, as well as that are going to be able to do that that volunteer management role. So, okay. Um, but but would definitely welcome feedback as as the new person comes on board, and um, because as council leadership, we'll be able to provide direction to that um, position, even though we won't be managing them. We'll be working with the mayor's office to make sure they're getting the adequate direction. I don't know if you have anything else to say on that, Mayor Bernie. Great. Um, next topic, uh, and I'll try to be quick on these, uh, but thank you all for, for that discussion. Just wanted to make sure we were all on the same page as, as we go forward in our planning. Uh, next comment, next discussion, I just wanted to note the legislative session started uh, yesterday, the state legislative session. Um, it'll run for 60 days, um, and it's the short legislative session. Um, we all got an email from Amy Sai, our chief policy advisor. She's going to send out emails every single week to us, giving us updates. Um, for the new council members, we passed a legislative agenda um, last in the fall um, that, sh that directs our, our staff on how they should advocate. If you're interested, any council member is interested um, in being able to testify um, on particular bills that are covered by some of the topics in our legislative agenda, just a reminder um, to reach out to Amy um, and coordinate. It's actually, I've found in the past when I've reached out on things um, that it's been great because she and Brianna, our, our um, chief lobbyist, um, will send you talking points and help you prepare for those types of things. Um, and if you're doing something um, that isn't on the ledge agenda, just make sure to note that it's you're personally testifying on that. But um, and and I just say, you know, hopefully we can also use this space of talk time if there's anything that you feel um, passionate about and wanted to just raise to your fellow council members to to know that certain bills are coming up, um, feel free to raise them at talk time to just let us know or if, if we see any issues where we want to talk as a city about how we're, we're kind of showing up in these spaces. I just wanted to make sure it's open as we're going in and um, 
and that we all are kind of aware of, of how we're, we're showing up and advocating together for our city's uh, best interest and, and our values. Um, so just wanted to note a few things um, on of unique scheduling that you'll see on the calendar coming up. If you look out at the extended agenda, I sent you all the agenda for uh, and the for um, uh, the up upcoming business meeting, um, but also attach the extended agenda. And just wanted to note a few things. One is um, AWC days. Um, that week, in the past, sometimes we've canceled the council meeting the night before um, we go to AWC days. This year, that meeting is not canceled. So just in case you were wondering, it is happening um, in early February. Um, also, we took a look at August, which last year we, for the first time, decided to take all of August except for one meeting off. And um, I think some of the items got so stacked up that when we came back in the fall, we had a, a really busy fall. And given that this is a budget year and that we also have the comp plan to finish and some other big items, um, we decided that we're just gonna take two weeks off in August, but we are gonna still have some of that August recess. So you'll see that on the extended agenda. And then just a note for December that um, we are planning hopefully to, to finish after the first meeting in December and, and cancel meetings after that. Um, and uh, and and also this will be a budget year, so we'll have some uh, some additional meetings that might get scheduled uh, in the fall after October, um, and sometimes using Thursday nights uh, to be able to do some of that work. Although we are talking about how we can do that work more efficiently um, so that we don't have to use too many of your Thursday nights, but just wanted for everyone who in planning your schedules to know that there may be some additional nights just as we get into budget. I know it's really far look ahead. Yep. So um, we're just trying to build off on the really good work that we did last during the budget, uh, making sure that information is is received early um, and we process through that so that we can spend you know fewer hours on the budget when the budget actually drops because it won't be a surprise. So um, we'll work with the chair of the FAC to make sure that if we have some items that we need to if not in study session, bring to your committee um, to make sure that you get those ahead of time and have discussions ahead of time. Um, any ideas from the council, you know, getting those sooner than later is helpful too as we as we work on the budget. Um, but I have a challenge to you. My, my hope is to finish the budget before Thanksgiving, see if we can get that passed. So um, I, I know. <laughs> Um, I leave that to all of you and we'll work with you on that, but that's kind of the goal. And so if you have ideas on things that we can handle earlier to kind of process through it, um, please let us know because I'm really excited about the idea of not dragging this and dragging it on to December to really kind of getting it done before the holidays. So. Yeah, sure hopefully we can work with our trustee fact chair to be able to uh, figure this, this out um, as well about how work we can do in committee. Councilmember Fields. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that we made great progress um, towards the, making the process uh, more informative early, and I, and, and I really appreciate the mayor's office and the council for doing that. Um, I would say that um, well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you in private about this. Great. So I'm not gonna. I'm not ready to to bring this up right now. Sounds good. All right. Thank thanks. you.
we'll follow up with the rest of you after that conversation. Um, okay, that brings me to the end of my list. I think I had a few extra things, but I, I, I'm going to open it up now. Council members, does anyone else have items for council talk time? I won't normally have such a long list. <laughs> council uh, member Anderson. Just a quick clarification. You mentioned the hopper form, but it would be helpful to have uh, when are the due dates for that in terms of expectations around that form just for these folks. And can we get a copy of that sent out to everybody again? Yes, I will send out the hopper form um, and a reminder on the guidelines, instructions. And then um, one of the things we also created last year was a OneDrive folder where you can view but not edit, which is OPMA allowed, um, that has a bunch of different council documents. And I'll share that out with you all so that you have, um, I think there's a couple other documents in there that'll be helpful, but the hopper form is in there. And then a follow-up question on that. Uh, so the first question was, when's the due date? It's the Wednesday before the meeting by five. And who are we giving it to that Jason isn't here anymore? Yeah, I think that that is something for us to work out. So okay. I'll, I'll make sure it's clear. I think it does say in the document. Wednesday the, before the, five o'clock or something like that. Yeah, it, it has the, the deadline. I don't want to misspeak, but I will, I'll okay. make sure that I include that in there. Okay, and then a cl clarification question. Does Hopper form have to go to talk time or can it go to a committee chair? Uh, the Hopper form, as we, we all agreed, was um, designed to go to talk time. And then gets routed? Yeah, and then the after, because the idea is that we all read the Hopper form. The person who's proposing the idea gets, uses talk time to explain the idea. And then the council essentially decides where does it go next, which likely will be committee. Um, so it's, it's, and we don't go deep dive into the issue. We mostly say, do we want to talk more about the issue? And that's where it goes. And we figure out where it goes next. Thank or you. does it get staff review or legal review or whatever? Thank you. This was the, this is the end of the quiz. <laughs> Thanks. Great. Councilmember Stewart. Cool. Thanks for helping us uh, be set up for an awesome year. Um, it's cold outside, and the parks maintenance staff has a tradition of every Wednesday in the winter, they do a hot soup lunch, and they rotate who brings the crock pots full of hot soup. So Dave Tuchek and Director Hamilton have invited the council back out to host one of the hot soup lunch Wednesdays. Last term, Councilmember Carson and I did it. Uh, just wanted to extend the offer to the council. So if that is something that you are interested in, serving hot soup and hanging out with the parks maintenance staff sometime during the winter season. So this month, next month would probably um, be best. You can reach out directly to Director Hamilton. Thanks. Tell us what kind of soup you made. Thank you, and, and in advance, thanks to our park staff and also our public works staff who is, as the times get cold and slippery, I'm sure will be busy working hard and probably over extra hours. Any other um, comments, questions? Mayor Bernie. Um, we are uh, concerned about the March 12th meeting. We have multiple people who have, um, there's National League of Cities, um, there's another conference I might be at, some people are on vacation and can't attend, so we're trying to find out if there will actually be quorum on that day and, or how that will work. So if you have your calendar in front of you to check March 12th, um, if not, if you could let your council president know if you can or cannot be there that day so we know what to do if we aren't going to have quorum. Um, so that put that on the radar. I'm available. I don't need to check with you. So 
Does any does anyone else who hasn't noted uh, want to raise if, if you're concerned about March 12th? Okay. Well, I will send out an email just in case you check your schedule and realize that this is not a great date, but we will want to just double check on this that, that we do have enough council members for quorum. All right. Um, well, I think that brings us to the end of our agenda. So if there is no objection, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you all.